one of the places, Colin, I, I want to start with this conversation with you is because, now this might sound strange to some people, but you probably speak better Korean than some of the Korean guests I've had on this show. And this is not to no. say, but these would be people that are perhaps uh, in America or they uh, might be Korean-American. This is Gyopo standards. i playing by the, the asterisk uh, against my name. And I knew you would immediately be humble about uh, your Korean language. But for those that don't know, and it's not perhaps well advertised, but you've done, you've hosted podcasts in Korea, in Korean, like full on. Yes, yeah, and as, as a proof of concept. To yeah. see if myself, to see to myself, can I do this? And I did a few, I've done a few over the past five or six years just to see like, let's try it. What if I put this up? Mm. Knowing that I'll put it up made me think a little harder. It focuses your mind. And I, it gave me a chance, it gives me a chance to talk to Koreans I would want to meet anyway, or writers I knew. And I'll do it more this year. I've just done Good. a few scattered over the years, Good. just as I say, proof of concept, can I do this? And when I hear the ones I did a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, I think what I want to think, which is, Oh, I sucked. Because that means I must be better. Because, you yeah, know, whether it's yeah. speaking or writing, you always want to look back on your own work, even from last week, ideally, and say, oh, that mm. sucks. I, I could do so much better now, you know, mm -hmm. with my, now with the height of my powers thus far. But, yeah, the podcast is a Koline Hanguk. And uh, I, I admire your industry on this podcast. You're giving me an example of sort of what it is to work on a podcast. So I may put some fraction of what I see from you, what I see you doing into that <laughs> this year, just to get it going regularly, not just to be for a thing for myself, but mm -hmm. something people could actually follow, which means you have to do it regularly, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, that's the most important thing, regularity, mm -hmm. in which I used to podcast in English, which is why I first visited Korea, in fact, in 2014. And uh, my podcasting in Korea, my the interviews I recorded here, shaped my worldview, mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, shaped shaped for me what it was to live in Korea, as I would soon do, as a Westerner. Most of my guests were Westerners, although some were Koreans, like uh, Son Hyunwoo from Talk To Me In Korean. Uh, what a good dude. What a good dude. He's always ready to podcast. Yes. Uh, but uh, Michael Breen, uh, whose book on the Kore whose book The Koreans, that was the only one uh, of those two he'd written at that time I'd mm. read. Uh, the first interviewee, in fact, I had here was uh, Brian Myers, the North wow. Korea analyst in Busan. Yeah. And I'd interviewed him before mm. on the phone for other things. So I, I kind of knew him. But my view of Korea as a Westerner, now having been here seven years living, uh, is still to an extent Brian's. The things he said, and I asked him not about North Korea, but about South, because he never talks about living in South Korea, or at that point did not. So mm. I was like, I want to hear what is it to live here in South Korea, not just as a North Korea analyst or a vegan, both of which make life difficult for him, mm -hmm. but you know, which, what, is, what is it like to live here? Because I had no idea. And he gave me, I mean, he, the interview is very popular still. I hear from people I meet or I get emails. Even he does. Like that interview, people love it. He says, for some reason, really, people really tap into it somehow. Mm. And he is, uh, Brian is a hugely articulate guy. Yes. In English, but also in German yes. and in Korean. And I mean, we're talking about Korean skills. I think I've never spoken to him in Korean, but I think he would probably give me a run for my money. I've spoken to him in Korean. Okay. so he's, uh, Via emails and correspondence, but I yes, see. he is. I see. He's, he's solid. Uh, and in other Japanese and uh, Chinese, his Chinese is decent as far as I understand. And I study these languages too, but he's got a big jump on me uh, when he started. You know, he, he's living in Korea in the 80s, right? Things like that. So he missed out. He, he saw times in Korea I missed out on. And so did you. Because mm -hmm. you've been here 10 years longer than I have. Is that right? 2015? Yeah. No, 20, 20, 2005. I got here. Yeah. 2015. What were some of the things that Brian Myers told you? What did you glean? Oh. What did you learn? Mm -hmm. Is, was there sort of one takeaway? Because Yeah, it's funny because like many expats, Brian mm. was sounding pretty negative. 
mm-hmm. in this conversation about Korea. And eventually I asked him, well, what do you like about <laughs> South Korea? What do, you, what do you like about living here? Yeah. It's not the food. Uh, certainly, it's not having to go to Gimbap Jongguk and ask to take out all the animal products. It's not the political left. It's not the political left <laughs> or right for that matter. But uh, he said, you know, he gives, he's good at illustrating points with, with anecdotes. Uh, he says, I, there's a flexibility here. A friend, a Korean friend was driving me around mm-hmm. and we drove up to a parking lot and it's the, the sign said Manwon. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, she drives into the lot and he's, I'm pretty sure that lot is full. Mm-hmm. She's like, there'll be a space. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, there was a space. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he says, you know, another car example, uh, in Korea, you'll see someone park across, you know, a couple of disabled spaces uh, right in front of the Pyeongnyejom, and nobody will cause a fuss about that. Uh, this could be a bad thing as well, but mm-hmm. it's like you'd have a road rage accident, an incident, possibly a deadly one on your hands in the U.S. if you did that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he likes how you don't have the sense of ambient violence in South Korea, which is, this is a comparison to the U.S., but it's mm-hmm. funny because Koreans say, oh, no, we're violent. We get in fights. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you, get, you go out late enough at the pota, the table's going to go over, the cops are going to get called. But uh, he appreciates, he's a fellow American, uh, and he appreciates how you don't feel like you're about to get into a... You, it's not like you always feel like you're going to fight, but this is maybe true in London as well. Mm-hmm. You feel like a conflict could erupt around you at any moment, and mm-hmm. you've got to be at least defensively prepared to handle that. Yes? If you're in Tra- Trafalgar Square at midnight, waiting for a bus... You There's know, places that are a bit naughty, mate. I, it's not even that, but like... You know something could go wrong. Yeah. Here, if something yeah. goes wrong, people can deal with it. Like there's mm-hmm. some, there are cultural systems in place where a problem gets handled. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas in the U.S., you're never sure. Like things could go very wrong if they go wrong. Yeah. Right. And I've I've said that so many times. One of the reasons why I, I do live here, why I like living here, raising my children here, is that I find it safe. I find yes. it clean. I, I find it that I don't fear about walking down certain places. Now, I know there might be other people in society that don't feel that same safety. Yeah, they they're might called be... Koreans. <laughs> they, would say, they would say, like, safe, clean. Yeah. You're in Seoul. This is the yeah. worst city in the world. It's yeah. filthy. And it's they, they say things that we can understand, like, this, you, what do you mean the subway is good? It's there's, This is a car city. People drive. Like, you have to drive in Seoul. Mm-hmm. No one would ever say that from the U.S. Or, mm-hmm. uh, or from the U.K. They'd say, I came here so I don't have to drive. But the Korean vision of, of Seoul and of Korean society is, I don't know what it is. If it's just, if the negativity is a load-bearing element mm-hmm. or if... I think, I mean, I used to live in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. I still am obsessed with Los Angeles and still write about it. And there's a phenomenon there where people in Los Angeles, because it's a city... In a way, it's an immigrant city, even mm. domestically. People come to Los Angeles. And people get stuck psychologically in the Los Angeles they arrived in. They'll still see, and if they got there in 1983, they're still today seeing the Los Angeles of 1983, mm-hmm. even if it's directly contradicted by what's in front of their eyes. And mm-hmm. here in Korea, it's like a Korean will say, I can't stand, I, I just went to Tokyo, everybody was quiet on the subway. You come back to Korea, and everybody's just barking into their cell phones. They're not doing that. No. Maybe on line one. But not the other ones. No, uh, no, I would agree. Uh, and it's like, why? What, do you have a sense of why this is? Why are they still seeing the Korea of sort of the 1990s at the latest for many of them? Even if they didn't experience that. It's that Latin and Malia back in my day when I was there. <laughs> and, and the music that we listened to when we were 15 still, yeah. you know, right. r- resonates. And there's this idea still that... Still Absolutely, I, I, I do like. Yeah, this is not a yeah. knock on Sonolim by any means. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, really amazing band. I, mm-hmm. I think they really influenced. Well, they were putting out like with Udzip in Egypt in the uh, mid to late seventies. Mm-hmm. I think is 
really great. I think yeah. it sounds like Gang of Four, Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's some really it interesting stuff, I think. And Vitaly had that distance, so they could not directly imitate. They couldn't replicate Western music. It, it wasn't replicating. Right. I, I see the replication going the other way. I, I yeah. think there might have yeah. been some Western artists that heard that and went, right. nobody's going to know about yeah. that. Let's, let's get let's some of it. that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I think there would be that. There's this... <clears throat> I was... I want to hit on that flexibility mm -hmm. thing first and then um, – because I think that's so interesting about South Korea. This is going to sound like a name drop, but it's, it's a genuine true story. I was going to see um, the New Zealand ambassador, Mr. Philip Turner, mm. uh, for a coffee. Yes. And I turned up to this place and I tried to park and, and the guy was like, no, 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 you can't park here. And I was like, but I've got to go and meet this guy in, in 10 minutes. And he was like, no, you can't park here. So I looked at him and I went uh, – can I give you some cash? And he went, yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. he just immediately checked. He was like, yeah, right. absolutely. And it's going to cost you, uh, I think he said, 5,000 won. Just not even much, no, right? Yeah. But it, it just took that flexibility. And it took that it, flexibility. You need that confidence to push things. You need to be right. able to do it in Korean, but it is a society where... It rewards aggressiveness in a way. I mean, with learning Korean, I was... I've been working on this book. I, I'm under contract to write a book in Korean, which is one reason why oh, wow. I haven't done much podcasting is because okay. it takes, as you know, a long time just to get started on the day's writing in Korean. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. Like your, your brain is like, I don't want to do this. No. I, I don't want to start writing a thing in Korean. When you get into it, it's fine. But just that the ramp up. And I was working on an essay about learning Korean. Like, is, is Korean a hard language or not? Mm -hmm. uh, or to what extent is it hard? It's not that academic. But... Uh, I was saying in, in, that, in that essay, uh, you really do have to be aggressive in practicing it. Because I, you meet, and I, I meet, we both met Westerners who say, I want to learn Korean, mm. whether that is true or not. Who can say, mm. I want to learn it, but everybody speaks English to me, so I can't learn it. Yes. And if I reflect on my seven years here, not, not that long, not long compared to you or compared to you know, a Mark Peterson, uh, an episode I enjoyed, got here in 65, you know, yeah. uh, against which we are both... Johnny come lately. Johnny's come lately. Uh, again, I, drawing from my experience, I, I've been addressed in English maybe 10 times in seven years. It just doesn't happen that much. Mm -hmm. So I think people who say that, if it's true, Westerners who say I can't practice because I go to the EDIA or wherever and they say they, they take my order in English, they weren't being aggressive enough. Mm -hmm. They weren't, you know, coming up. I always start the conversation. That's the thing. I don't wait yeah. to be addressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and on the Rare occasions I do get addressed in English. I speak in Korean or just leave. Mm -hmm. uh, and more often these days, the latter, I'm getting a little more ornery uh, the longer I'm here, which is a Korean-like trait, perhaps. Uh, but you do have to, if you push people, I guess they respect it or yeah. they go with it. Like, okay, this guy's not going <laughs> to... This guy's not going to go with English, so I'd better just go back to Korean. You know, you, th this works, right? This yeah. is this is true. And you might, you, you say something perfectly in Korean the first time, they'll look at you and they'll go, huh? As if they weren't it even happens. expecting it. I find that quite a lot that I'll say something. Yep. And, and that I think Sometimes. it's just like this, um, I'm not sure, cognitive dissonance that might be going on in their mind. They're not sure. Did, did you really just say that Maybe. in Korean? Where is this happening to you? I find it with Kyungbya Joshis quite a lot. Security uh, guards and things yeah. like that. And... It, maybe mm. age plays a role in that. They're genuinely maybe old. Maybe it does. I yeah. I, I've been living in Shincheon the past seven years. Yeah. You're here, and I've been. I'm about to move from Shincheon, so I'm reflecting on what makes Shincheon Shincheon. One thing is, there's so many students now, foreign mm. students who go to the universities all around there, mm. Yonday, Ide, Solgang, who can speak enough Korean that the level is, the yeah. bar is set. Right. Yeah. You you. Uh, they think, people around the coffee shop owners, whomever, they see a foreigner, they think, oh well. 
they probably speak some Korean. Yep. Maybe that's a Shinchon thing. And I'm moving to Gachisan, so we'll see if that's a Gachisan thing. <laughs> There's definitely, I would suggest in terms of language, and I want to ask you about the book in a minute and the actual aspect of learning Korean, but... Mm-hmm. There's definitely this element in which international students coming to Korea, because I see them a lot in my university lectures, mm-hmm. they've got excellent Korean skills. Now, not all of them, mm-hmm. but I will encounter that the, the overall level has increased. You've got ah. some excellent speakers. You've got right. people who are nearly fluent. Of course, you have the ones that really haven't got to get grips with the language yet. But right. overall, I think that's definitely increased. And so... At the same time, has the English ability of my Korean students. I mean, 15, Mm. 10 years ago and now it's night and day. Mm. Um, Your book, you've just dropped a bombshell that you're contracted to write a book in Korean. I am. Rather than talk about my aspirations, can you give us any idea of this book? And do you have a book in English? There's one in Los Angeles I'm working on in English, yeah. But I... I face no real pressure to complete it while I'm here. So I work on it, but then I feel like it's just growing and growing. With, I, I have an agent in English too, and I, I think she'd appreciate, uh, well, I'm working, I've been talking to an agent about it, in, uh, mm. and she'd appreciate if I got a uh, if I got a section to her that she could then market. But uh, that's so another your story. your first book might be a book in Korean, is what I'm asking Probably you. will, given, wow. the, given the pali-pali nature <laughs> uh, of things here. But it, it happened because, a, uh, you know, I, it's funny, I... I envisioned this happening, mm-hmm. but I envisioned it happening because I occasionally do write in Korean. And so yeah. I was thinking, mm-hmm. let's publish more in Korean and then get that track going as well. Yeah. Uh, but it was not Korean writing that caught the attention of a publisher here. It was actually something in English I wrote. It was a piece on uh, the 10th anniversary of Gangnam Style okay. in The New Yorker. And a, an editor in Korea contacted me. He's like, this is, I need, you need to be writing something in Korean because this is not a perspective we get right. from Koreans or foreigners. Mm-hmm. And he was saying later we met up, his, if I can interpret what he was saying in English, it would be, you're not looking down on Korea and you're not raising it up either. Uh, and that's, he said it was rare to his mind to find that. Uh, so I kept that in mind, like this is the sensibility I'll need to plow forward with when I write in Korean. And I don't, my, instinctively, I don't, I don't want to. I never have moments, and this surprises a lot of foreigners. Mm. I was... The, one of the rare times, I assure you, I was in uh, Hebangchon. I was talking to some foreigners standing around smoking, mm. and uh, some in- English bankers, I think, were there, uh, and other randoms. And I was saying, I've never had a single moment here in Korea, in again, only seven years, mm. where I've thought, I hate this country, I hate these people, I just can't do this. Mm. And these guys, these, your, your countrymen, as I say, were, no, they didn't believe it. Like, what do you mean? That's, that's me every day. I say, I hate this country, I hate these people. Uh, so I don't have the instinct to point out what I don't like about Korea. There are things yeah. I don't like. Mm. But at the same time, it's not interesting to read. Uh, you know, write what you want to read, right? And at the same time, the sort of, oh, Korea is so wonderful. Uh, I love this about Korea. I love that about Korea. Love of a place is, to my mind, not an interesting emotion to write from. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm very interested in Los Angeles, as I say, to the point of obsession. Yeah. Would I say I love it? I don't know. I mean, what is what is love of a place? And I've talked with foreign friends here, uh, mm. like Western writer friends, who also bristle when they we go back to where we came from to visit. And someone will say, oh, you love Korea. Like, we didn't say we love Korea. It's mm. someone telling us, oh, oh, you love Korea. You love Seoul. Right? Well, what? where are you getting that from? I mean, I, yes, I live there. And I guess there's the calculus like, oh, this American lives in Korea. He must love it. Because mm. if he didn't love it, why would he leave America? Which is... A fair point in a way, because not a lot of Americans leave. Mm. The English have more of an instinct to 
go abroad yeah. for long periods. Yes, am I mm. right in saying that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Not not necessarily always to South Korea. That wouldn't right. be the, the stereotypical. You might find Provence or right. uh, yes. Spain or something like that, Benidorm. But um, it's very easy to be a grief merchant about Korea. It's very yes. easy to hate on Korea oh, and yes. and find immense popularity for your work. I find that's a, oh, a, a yes. huge avenue of um, what a lot of writing about Korea is. You focus on yeah. all these horrible, terrible stories and, and people will, I, I worry because people will be on the outside of Korea and they'll see this through social media and they'll think that, you know, basically everyone's going around depressed, not having children, killing each other, mm. and, and, and it's this kind of dystopia. When they're not cramming for the sunung. When they're not cramming for the The one sunung. test that determines the life of every South Korean, you know, it's just, it's the same five stories over and over again, of Korea as dystopia. I don't read news coverage of Korea in English for that reason, it's just, uh, there's nothing there for me. But it's not for me. It's not written for me. No, it's not. And uh, but on the same token, the positive stories do kind of work as well. You know, mm. they'll, they'll, you'll mm. find these nunchi stories or right. these kind of almost self-orientalist mm. stories that will the miracle on the Han River that you may have heard of resonate. It. Yes. yes, and I do. Oh. I do sometimes challenge my my students to find the real career because it's somewhere in between, and it's uh, it's yes. not hate filled or love filled, but it's it's the reality. You didn't. You didn't really describe what the book will oh, be. Oh, yes. It's uh, essays. I mean, essays are what I write in the first place. But uh, the editor said, he, at first he was like, let's translate the things you've written yep. in English. And I said, well, that's, that's fine, but I want to write new stuff as well. So it'll be a mixture. I don't want to translate my old stuff, so just maybe they can find someone. Mm -hmm. And then I'll write new essays in Korean, so mm -hmm. a mixture of the two, like translated old stuff, and then new essays on subjects like, as I say, is Korean really a hard language? Or... So many things come to mind about uh, essays about the Korean city, mm -hmm. not just Seoul, but mm -hmm. the Korean city. I kind of want to write about Korean cars, too. I feel like there's a, a lot to say culturally about uh, the Korean car and what it shows you about the country. I mean, I was uh, listening recently to your episode with Mark Peterson, yes. and we mentioned, and you had this, maybe you will remember, maybe you won't, but he was saying how you were talking about what it's like to come back to Korea because mm. he's seen Korea in the depths of poverty. Yes. He lived here to come back and see people driving Maseratis, mm -hmm. uh, or Lamborghinis, yes. or Ferraris. And he was talking about, Mark Peterson was talking about this time, he saw someone in Gangnam, I'm sure, driving a sports car that he said looked Italian. He didn't know if it was a Maserati, a Ferrari, mm -hmm. or Lamborghini, but it looked Italian. And we all know what that means. Yeah. Like a car, oh, it looks Italian, got it. You know, a BMW, what country does that look like it comes from? Because mm -hmm. you're going to get it right in the first guess no matter what, even if you don't know where it comes from. What do Korean cars look Korean? In terms of color, my, my immediate, ah, rather than design, I go for that's color. A, that's a good point. That's and a very good point. The reason I would do that, Colin, is that when I was young on, mm. on long car journeys, we used to play this snooker game, or as you might say, snooker. Indeed. Um, and We wouldn't say snooker at all. We'd probably say, what, pool? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> go on. In, in snooker, there's various colored balls. And first you have to put a red one and then yeah. a yellow one and, and, and so on. And we used to play that with the cars on the road. So first mm. we need to find a red car. Right. Oh, we've got one. Now it's a yellow car. Then ah, back yes. to a red, then to a brown, and then to a red then mm. to a green, to right. a blue. The pink ones were hard, obviously. But they'd be there but they sooner or later. But they would be there, and you could complete given the game of... Trip. Given the game, you could complete the game of snooker right. on the car journey. Right. No chance that's happening oh, in yes, South Korea. Oh, yes, White, black, gray, white, 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 black, black, white, gray, black, blue. But you get loose. It's slowly changing yeah. a little bit, isn't right. it? But for the right. longest time, if you ask me about Korean cars, it's that uniformity of color oh, rather I mean, than anything Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I remember. Every car I've rented here has been white. 
And I remember parking one of these cars in a parking garage where every other car was white. And this was maybe two years ago. <laughs> yeah. What is that? What I, is that? I'm not sure, but mm. is is it not the same with the long paddings, the coats that oh. they will wear, where they, they look yes. like gimbops or the mask colors? Yes. And there yeah. is this uniformity. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's really appropriate to start saying, oh, it's because of Confucianism and collectivism and Uri. It's, I'm not sure it's yeah. that, but there is a lot of mm. uniformity in aesthetic. There is. A friend of mine has a teenage daughter, and when long padding really hit big a few years ago, mm. of course, the daughter wanted it. Yeah. My friend's like, yeah. you can have a long padding, just not the black one. Just don't get another black. The world doesn't need one more Korean teenage girl in a black long padding. So she gets the white. Yeah. Now yeah. the white are big, too, so. Yeah, you can choose white, or, one or the other, white or black. I, I spent a lot of time uh, as a young teenager in the UK trying to look different from everyone else. That was, and of, yeah. of course, I ended yeah. up looking like everyone yeah. else. Same in the US. But I think here there's an element to try to look like everyone else. And there's a way to be. Yeah. There is a way to be here. Mm. I'm very interested in in this book of essays. Yeah. By the way, I do want to point out for those that might not know you, you have this thing that you do on Twitter where you share these collection of essays that you've been reading. Yeah, the ones I've been reading, not writing, but not reading. Not writing, yeah. but reading. And that's Others a great essays. source because it's very it. easy to get lost in, um, you know, just reading the same things. But you seem to have a great diversity and, uh, and breadth of not only sources, but also content and writers. And mm, yeah, I post all the essays I read. And I limit myself to one per day mm -hmm. because it was getting to be too much. As you know, you could on the internet you could just read essays all day, like yeah. book reviews alone. I could just I could read book reviews until I died of liver spots, like in fifty years. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. It just you could waste your life. Uh, it wouldn't be a total waste, but there are better uses of time. But one essay a day makes you think. Like yeah. which which essay am I going to read? And as well as you say. It makes you think of variety because you do you if you thread them you can see this is what I've been reading. Mm -hmm. It's for me as much as anyone else, mm -hmm. and I see like if are there patterns. I don't want to repeat the same uh, source, the same publication twice. I don't want to mm -hmm. repeat the same writer certainly, mm -hmm. same subject certainly. I, I if I have a sort of if I read something left wing, I want to read something right wing, mm -hmm. and if I read something right wing, I want to read something left wing. Right? If I read something from an article from first things or the new criteria and maybe Jacobin comes next or, yeah. or mm -hmm. the New Yorker where I write. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you keep, you, you're conscious of mixing it up and choosing wisely because, sure. you know, you're not going to have another one today. You're going to have to work. So read one essay, yeah. first thing and get it done. And it doesn't get much traction. I see. I've, I've, I'm often the only one yeah. liking. So I do want to point that. People I, bring it up to me, but I not, they don't, I don't like see it. It's the yeah. me, Twitter metrics are not that useful and Twitter itself gets a very hard time, but there is no better right now and for the past 10 years, there's no better way to read essays that yeah. are being published. There Agreed. is nothing else. There's Twitter. That's it. There's no there's no blog lines, no Google Reader anymore. RSS is not a technology used for reading these days. Mm -hmm. uh, really, other than Twitter, I don't see how I'd be keeping up with my favorite essayists uh, mm -hmm. and publications that publish essays without it. If it was gone. That's why I didn't quit with the whole Elon Musk thing. I mean, I didn't care in the first place, but... I wasn't going to make a big show of leaving because I kind of need it. And yeah. anybody writing essays online needs it. Yeah. They're lying if they say they don't. Yeah. And they're lying if they think they haven't taken a hit uh, with sort of people discovering them mm -hmm. uh, by not being on Twitter. Oh, no, I definitely agree. And I, I don't think there was a, a mass exodus or, or Most leaving of of back people too. from Twitter. Yeah, that happened. There so was this, sneakily come back under. All these... Uh, what was it called? Mastodon or something? It sounds like yeah, some death metal thing. I hear that's thing. on death's door as well. <laughs> it sounds like a death metal already. band. I think it is. Dude. 
can we get back to your Korean language acquisition? Oh, so, yes. so we've done a, some of your your reading, but you're you're writing this collection of essays mm-hmm. in Korean, which I think is a fabulous adventure to go on, and I look forward to reading it myself. But mm. to get the Korean language, it is difficult. It, it it's not easy, and I sometimes look so enviously at. Um, during my PhD or master, uh, my classmates from from China or Japan, and all the hanja just comes to them. The the Chinese characters comes oh, to them course, immediately, and they have right. all of these. They can they can get words that they might be seeing for the first time, and immediately they yeah. have a sense of it, just right. like we might do with French or Spanish or German indeed, or indeed. Italian. We can look at a sentence and go, "Well, I kind of get a sense of what's that yes, that's saying." Strong Latinate roots, yeah. And I've been learned. I learned French here in Korea, okay, and it is comparatively. Easy in a sense, and this is this goes into the essay I've been working on. That's why I'm digging into it now. Yeah. But French is also harder than Korean because in what way? verb conjugation. Yeah, I can see uh, that. I, I spoke Spanish already, so it was sort of a cheat code for me in that way. But I just wanted to learn another language here mm. to have a just. Dis- I mean, I guess I do. I have a lot of different sessions on the internet with language teachers for, for practice in you know, Spanish, Japanese, French, mm. and a few, a few per week. Uh, but learning another language is a way to make the first language you're learning easier or feel easier. That makes sense, right? actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you could choose a deliberately hard one. I've been working on Finnish lately because Finnish is supposed to be, you, know, you always hear, <laughs> the hardest language in the world is Finnish. Yeah. And I can understand why. And I've been yeah. binging Finnish crime dramas to write about them. I'll, I might pitch a piece on that later. But... It's just like, oh, this is nothing like Korean or English. And just having that there, I can practice Finnish one, once a week, Finnish Friday, I call it. Mm. Uh, it just it gives you a reference point. You can stay, you can stay, how to put it? It puts you on the map of languages and you can have a clearer sense of just, you know, Korean is my main foreign language, yes. And is it mm. even really foreign since I live in Korea? Uh, but I can realistically appreciate what is hard and easy about it. You know, what is the Korean language like? Because yeah. I have reference points. And it's not just my native language, English, and then Korean, That's that binary is not quite enough mm-hmm. for me to really understand language. And, you know, you meet bilinguals who are fluent in both languages but somehow unimpressive as well because, like, you get a sense they're just doing it. Mm-hmm. They don't really have a sense of language itself. Uh, mm-hmm. So I try to escape that, you know, two-language binary. There's Korean and there's English. And in a way, the country itself is falling into that. Like, yeah. there are two languages, you know. Korean, your language, and then English, the world's language, which I mean, don't get me started on that. Which is not. Um, I, I love this idea that by learning another language on top of it, then you get a better framework because it's so true. You only you only understand something once you leave it or you put it next to something else. You have That's a relative true. frame That's of true. reference. And uh, damn it, you're going to make me study another language now, I feel, yeah. after this conversation. Just, yeah. go, just go back into Korean for me, the mm. Korean language specifically. So you talked about the difficulty in French, perhaps, of uh, the, I can't remember now, the 13 verbs of être or something, the conjugation mm-hmm. or something, but the gender with various nouns. Oh, but yes. If we get into the Korean language, can you give us some insight into either the language itself? What what is it that appeals to you? Does it does it sing to you? Do you find the the way that adjectives are sometimes used as verbs and vice versa, or how negatives always come at the end rather right, than in right. 
English, everything seems to be, you really need to know your verbs in Korean, I've noticed, right. rather than nouns. There are all these different verbs. Like, verbs. We would just wear something, and they've got different verbs for, for hats and sunglasses yeah, and different watches. Verbs with different, not, that's in Japanese, too. Yeah, the, the verb matches the thing. There's always a sort of ideal verb to use, or an ideal. This is the thing about Korean that's really distinctive uh, against any other language I've seen. Mm. Uh, you can sort of bang up two verbs next to each other in a way that in, to an English speaker is completely unfamiliar and yeah. you just don't have a feel for it. Yeah. Uh, just straight up. Or, I mean, there's lots of expressions where it's just they combine two verbs together in a way that is not intuitive to us. The one that confuses every Westerner who comes here uh, to live initially is uh, when you go to a store, mm. a, a restaurant or a cafe, mm. a coffee shop, and you order and they say, uh, which you know the words like, mm. oh, the high level of eat and go, it involves go, so that must mean to go, <laughs> when it's in fact the opposite. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, you're going to eat and then go. Yeah. You're gonna, it's for here. Mm. Uh, but if you say like, oh, yogi mogul it sounds weird, like awkward. Yeah. Like, it yeah. sounds even more foreign. Than, I already look for, and that sounds even more foreign than I'm expected to be. But uh, the sort of like, yeah, eat. They emphasize eating and then going. Like the going is somehow important to emphasize that you're doing it here. Uh, but to speak to the difficulty of Korean, this actually gets to a Brian Myers point. One of the mm. other things that stuck with me, my first interviewee here, mm. low those many years ago, he said, uh, apropos learning Korean, uh, I really think you have to hear every sentence spoken before you can generate a similar one. He speaks, as I say, German. Mm -hmm. German, he, sa he said, I'm quoting him, mm -hmm. You, you learn the rules, spend a year, and you can speak German, credible German. Mm -hmm. Korean is not like that. There's yes. no list of rules to learn. Mm -hmm. You have to hear everyone say everything mm -hmm. effectively before you can, you, you can't come up with a new sentence, really. I mean, you can, of course, you can technically. I do but, it quite a lot. Yeah. My, yeah. my, my teacher will look at me yeah. and go, no, that's not how you say it. And I'll say yeah. to her. But you understood uh, it, teacher. You, you and she, and understood she'd be like, it. Yeah, but you can't say it like that, David. <laughs> yeah, it's, so Brian's points about the Korean language have stuck with me, and that's yeah, one yeah. element of the difficulty. But you know, I asked him as well about the Korean language because I'd been studying Korean about seven years at that point. Hmm. All self-study. I really haven't taken a proper class in mm -hmm. Korean, so don't confuse me for an academic master of the Korean language by any means. But... Uh, I'd been studying Korean without ever having set foot here. And I figured, well, when I get to Korea, mm. expats are going to be pretty solid in Korean or going to be expected to be. So I should also have these skills. And then I got here and realized it's not the case. Uh, no. Expats themselves would say like, no one speaks Korean. Come on. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can ask where the bathroom is, you're doing better than people who've lived here 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And that, I didn't have any culture shock in Korea because I've been living in Los Angeles' Koreatown. <laughs> and I've been studying Korean, watching Korean movies. But that was a shock. Mm. What do you mean someone who's been here 20 years doesn't speak Korean? And, you know, they'll have this sort of survival Korean. But yeah. you wonder why. Why is that? Why, why do they not want to learn more Korean? And why do Koreans put up with it? Is there an answer to that? Did you get... From, Brian was talking about how, yes, this is... The community of expats here, if we can call it that, is distinguished by its lack of mastery of the local language. There and will be some people that take umbrage with the word expats as well. They might be. We can get to that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm just not my favorite word either. But uh, it has negative connotations I do want to include here. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And you know, for whatever reason, Brian said, the Koreans do not expect mastery of the Korean, langu of, of the Korean language from foreigners. Mm -hmm. And foreigners, for their part, 
they come, this was it, this was the core. They come with no intention to stay. Mm -hmm. This conversation was years ago, yeah. so maybe a different situation now, but people do not come here. Expats don't come here, especially Westerners thinking, I'm going to be here for 40 years. They say, I'm going to teach English for one year. One becomes two, yeah. becomes five, becomes 10. Suddenly they're married with kids and they can't go anywhere else. Hotel California. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. You can never leave. Uh, and they don't have any experience in any any area but teaching English, uh, which is one reason why that's a trap uh, for many people. There's people who get out of it. I don't mm -hmm. want to paint with too broad a brush, but many English teachers complain, like, I can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. I'm stuck. I'm, I'll be doing this till I die. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sense of being marooned, having been marooned, I felt it among expats I met. And that mm -hmm. resentment of like, I didn't mean to stay here, but here I am. Even if they liked Korea a lot and appreciated its good qualities, they felt like they hadn't chosen it. Mm -hmm. That might be part of it. There's a resistance then to really dig into the language if you feel like, I wasn't supposed to be here, you know? Mm. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, you, you do wonder, you know, why are journalists here so rarely Korean speakers, unless mm. they are ethnically Korean? Uh, why doesn't anybody give them a hard time about that? You know, why, why do Koreans not expect a higher level of Korean? Why is it, why does a Korean feel obligated to speak English in their own country? Mm -hmm. you know, there was a, there was a, an app, Speaking Max, one of the many English learning apps that gets put out here, mm. being promoted when I got here in 2015. Mm. And they had these commercials where you'd have uh, a girl, a Korean girl in a library watching something on her laptop. And then a, a foreigner comes up and he's like, hey, hey, do, do, you, do you know how to go to Gangnam Station you know, in, in English? And there'd be this cartoonish effect of sweat just <laughs> explodes <laughs> yeah, okay. from, their, from their collar. And yeah. with the implication, like, not if a foreigner comes up to you yammering in a foreign language, not only are you obligated to acknowledge them, you're obligated to speak in that language in Korea. Yeah. Something's isn't something wrong in there. People get sometimes pissed off when I say this, but like, isn't that bad? Like that's bad, right? I think so. Yeah, but why? What is the defense? Like, let's figure why. Why is this? Why is it good? What's what is the argument for this? For this culture of fear and. Uh, pressure surrounding specifically the English language. What's going on? I mean, here's, I could theorize this is all to do with the, it's all down to the sunung, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the sunung, it's the equivalent of uh, the SAT in the US. The UK has something similar. A levels. Similar? A levels. Mm -hmm. uh, and the stu from what I've heard, the students in Korea do so similarly on it, for the mm -hmm. most part, mm -hmm. that without that English section, you don't get the variance. Right. You can't sort them into schools, which mm -hmm. are high, <laughs> arranged like this. You know, you get into the, you go to the school you get into as high mm -hmm. as possible. They, you don't get enough variation in scores unless you put that English section in. Mm -hmm. And so that results perhaps in this whole culture of shame around not speaking a, a particular foreign language, which is yeah. like, yeah, if you're going to England, I get it. But... You're not even in Europe here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I was interviewing a long time ago, a, I shouldn't say who it was, but someone very high up in the Korean cultural bureaucracy, a member mm -hmm. of what I think of as official Korea. Yep. And he, I asked him one question. He talked for 80 minutes. Uh, you won't be surprised. I'm sure you've had experience in Korea uh, yeah. similar to that. But in this 80-minute monologue, essentially, mm -hmm. he got onto the subject of uh, Sweden, uh, as you do in Korea. And he said, you know, the Swedes, they speak Swedish, of course, and they all speak good English. So Korea should do that. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, Sweden, population 10 million. Yeah. It's in Europe. Yeah. Like, what about, why is this a, a relevant comparison? What, why would you even, 
bring this up? Like, what is what about Sweden is like Korea in mm -hmm. any sense? Mm -hmm. uh, or you know, the, the the founder of Oh My News, what's the guy's name? I'm not sure. I, I don't think he had I this, ever knew the name. He had this big campaign years ago. He's like, why is Korea so unhappy? I'm going to go around the world mm. and find out which country is the happiest, and I'm going to see their find their secrets and bring them back to Korea so we can follow that example. Yep. It was Denmark. So he did have this whole, he, he made this, built this mini industry about- They like, have a special concept for that there, don't they? Oh, Huga? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, that's a whole other marketing- That was really chart. popular here. Oh, yeah, yes. uh, you still see it. But this, uh, the founder of OMI knew has pushed this idea, like, here's how Koreans can be happy. Find the country that's the happiest, wherever in the world it may be, mm. however dissimilar to Korea it may be, mm. and do what it does. <laughs> and that is like, if I don't, if I dislike something about Korea in a deep way, it's that. It's that thinking like the answer lies outside Korea. Some other country, some better country mm. is doing something that we're not. Let's do it so we can be better. In a way, it's it's not a bad thing, but also... It's dynamic. It's... I guess, but it's so, I mean, is the, it, the assumption there is that the answer could not possibly be within. Mm. It can't, this is a, Koreans can't know this for themselves. We have to go outside, you know, the whole... Uh, mm -hmm. We have to mm -hmm. go outside and find, you know, some better country. Uh, again, I'm not using, I'm, I don't think the other countries are better, but mm -hmm. this is the implication of this thinking. Like, we've got to go do what, do what uh, Denmark is doing, do what Germany is doing, do what uh, the U.S. is doing. And, you know, this goes back. I remember reading a piece by uh, Ian Baruma from the 80s on mm -hmm. Korea, mm -hmm. one of my favorite writers on Asia, Ian Baruma. And uh, he was saying, asking, like, why is South Korea so obsessed with comparing itself to the U.S. and Japan, the most developed countries in the world, why, why the why are those the relevant examples? Yeah. Because they were so developed. But there's no sense that like maybe there's a so maybe there's an example closer at hand we can learn from, or maybe we know. You know, uh, it's there's a story Michael Breen uh, tells in his book. I think it was the first book, The Koreans, mm. where he came here and. Talk to a guy, talk to a foreigner who studied here in Korea early on. I think it was the late Peter Bar Bartholomew. I could be wrong. Mm. But uh, he, when, when this, uh, this other foreigner got here in the 60s or 70s, uh, he came to study Korean philosophy. And the Koreans, his, his Korean uh, classmates in the university, asked him, well, what are you here to study? And he said, I'm here to study Korean thought. And they said, we don't have any thought. <laughs> and... <laughs> I talked to Mike later about this. Yeah. I was like, what was up with that story? And Mike's interpretation was the Koreans in, in those days uh, on, that, on that campus, they must have been thinking, if, if the thought we have led us to the point it led us, mm -hmm. of what use is it? Of mm -hmm. what good is it? Of, mm -hmm. what, of what good could it have been if we were such a poor country for so long? Uh, but of course, that wasn't what they said. They said, we don't have any thought, which is pretty telling right there. Right? I mean, you mm. you dig deep into the subjects of uh, Korean philosophy, if I'm not mistaken. And is this still a current thing, this perception like, oh, Korea, we don't we don't have thought in the general public? The, yeah, I, I, I would say so in the general public, certainly yeah. not against in the thoughts of academics or historians, because mm. what's interesting to me is for four or five hundred years, the big debate would be between Lee and Gi, between right. sort of um, principle and material force between uh -huh. the idea of the idea of something or the actualization of something mm -hmm. which comes first and these philosophers would be toying around with right. those ideas but then if you ask Korean people today it will be Han and Jong and all of these kind of 20th century yes. manifestations and they're, right. and they're said to have all of these long uh, 
histories, which is not really the case. So there is a lot of Korean thought. I just don't mm. think it's crossed over that barrier that from the Joseon dynasty mm. to to this one. If I give you this one idea, Colin, this comes from uh, Professor Chang Kyung Sub, mm. who wrote the book The Logic of Compressed Modernity. Yes, and what he argued in that is very, very nice. Man, he sent me his book. Actually, he was like, "David, read this." I was like, "Thank you very much, sir." He argued that South Korea's modernization is not only conscious, which would be unlike Sweden's modernization, mm. which would be unlike Denmark's or right, something like this, right. or Britain's, because these countries aren't necessarily trying to modernize because mm. they are at the forefront right. of modernization. First in the pool. First in the pool. They're mm. not looking around going, we need to do what the other people right. are doing. So Korea's is conscious, mm. unlike other countries. So that's what you're seeing. Yeah. They're saying, They've got computers. We need to have computers here. Yeah. They've got those that we need those. And the second thing is they'll be doing it with, I'm not sure if this is the correct terminology, but non-indigenous elements such oh, as elements, yeah. capitalism, democracy, yeah. liberalism. That mm. they're, they're using it all with these outside sources and they're doing it intentionally. They're doing it in a very compressed manner. And that causes the ruptures that we see across society. Yes, I, I believe it. And it brings to mind a Korean book I read a few years ago. I wish the title could come to mind, but the, the author was a professor of anthropology, I think. Mm -hmm. And he had this section, I remember, that just stuck with me so much, so vividly. He's, he's writing to his fellow Koreans. He's saying, mm -hmm. imagine you travel to a small African country mm -hmm. on a vacation or just an adventure, and the plane's coming in. And you see the buildings in the, the African city below you are all hanok. They have hanok roofs. You land yeah. and the taxi driver picks you up and he starts addressing you in broken Korean. And then he turns on the radio and a Jo Young Pil song comes on the radio and he's like, oh, Jo Young Pil, number one, he came here 20 years ago. He's like, isn't this weird? Wouldn't it be weird? And then obviously the implication being, well, you come to Korea, what yeah. do you see? What do you hear? Uh, what happens when a foreigner comes to Korea? It's not that it's it's analogous to mm -hmm. all that, right? Mm -hmm. But somehow, the example, like, yes, a Korean would probably say that African example is weird, and yet, is it less weird when you come to Korea? And you know, imagine an American coming and they yeah. see, you know, this looks this looks a little like New York. The skyline, you, you, they come down. Oh, the taxi driver is speaking to me in a kind of English. He turns on the radio and it's. It's uh, it's uh, what's this? What's a big song here? It's uh, all by myself comes out of the <laughs> comes out of the. <laughs> That's out a of big the song here. Yeah, yeah, it is like oh, this yeah. What's what's the guy's name? Eric something, uh, Eric, the the singer of all of all by myself. Oh wow, I'm, I'm I'm not sure I know, Colin. It's uh, Eric something. I don't. Know. It, okay. The guy the, the song is better known than the, the man, but yeah, uh, you know he came here. Yeah, he played a concert in. I don't know if he did, but you know <laughs> it's just like what's going on. Uh, People would question the African example, but not the Korean example, right? Yes. So what's the difference? What's the answer? I wish I knew. Uh, and I, when I bring, when I tell that sort of, when I tell that sort of illustration, he, this guy uses it to start off his book, but he just wants to unsettle the assumptions of the readers. And when I tell that to Koreans, they're like, oh yeah, that would be weird. I wonder, yeah, I wonder why I haven't looked at Korea in that way myself, you know? And do, do you have a sense of, among your students, I mean, can mm. they think in this way? Can they see... That, that there's something weird about that? No, I think that I, it's a lovely example, by the yeah. way. And now I, I want to find this book and read this book. And I'm also probably going to uh, reference this example. So yes. thank you for, for sharing it with me. There is there's a couple of perhaps threads that I want to pick up with this. The first one would be that 
I sometimes just you mentioned students. If I if I show my students that South Korea is in terms of soft power in the world, number ten, mm. they look at me and they say, "That must be wrong." Why not number one? Why are we not number one? Right. Like what what's going on here? Mm. What do, Switzerland, Japan, like come on, check us out. Yes. And there is this like sense of confidence that Korea surely must be number one. And mm. I, I I'm not sure whether that comes from media that they consume or things like this because there was this over promotion of Korean things mm. amongst domestic media but I've always loved the idea that if Korea ever legalized marijuana you would have all the ajoshis sitting around going we must be the number one weed smoking country in the yes. world let's go come on get this up light up yeah, yeah, light, yeah, up. light up and they would yes. demand to be number right, one right, right. irrespective of what it was mm. the second thing is though that there was a I'm not sure if it came out of one of the government ministries, but there was this claim that the country has gone from being a country of Han mm. to a country of Hung. Han to Hung. Han yes. to Hung was the uh, was the claim, and mm. I'm wondering if there's something in that that during Korea's rise, it was that some elements of imitation, but it was like we're not where we should be because Korean people, to a certain extent, if you talk to them, they perceive themselves. And correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm generalizing across 50 million people, but they will often perceive themselves to be above China yes, and often yeah. perceive themselves to be above Japan. Right. And, and in one like, way or another, in one way yeah. or another. Yeah, they will have that sense. And so they're getting back to where they believe they should be. I'm wondering if these imitation stories that you're recounting, they might slowly pass because now you've got a career that's 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 landed like mm. there's no denying the critical and commercial success of the movies and yes. the dramas. There's there's no sort of fabrication in those. They're mm. genuinely hit. You can see makeup vlogs and uh, all sorts of mukbangs. Mm, of the, the course, music, the specialist. Okay. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's finally here and those narratives might change and Koreans mm. might sit back and go, well, actually, we're not going to speak English to you anymore. <laughs> yes. I, I wondered, is I it hope. possible? Could it I change? It's, there have been moments, as I understand it, when, when um, that show, Bijong Sung Hwedam, yes, uh, yeah. debuted. That, for a lot of people, from what I've heard, was the first time they really realized, oh, foreigners can speak Korean mm. at an actual level. They can actually have a conversation. So, look good at it, doing it. Look good at yeah. raise the bar mm -hmm. uh, and that whole yes, coming up, coming up in the world culturally uh, as well. But then I always think like, why, why did you have to be, why did you have to be successful elsewhere to have this realization? That's I go back to uh, I interviewed uh, a the frontman of a of a favorite '80s English band of mine, mm -hmm. and uh, he said to me. In those days in England, you couldn't make it. You couldn't make it in England unless mm. you made it in the U.S. first. Mm -hmm. You had to show your fellow Englishmen, like, "Oh no, America accepted me." Then yeah. maybe the English would say, "Okay, well, we'll give it a shot," but not before. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a bit of a that condition operational here as as well to an extent. Like, oh, this thing was. I think Squid Game was a bit like that. Uh, yeah. th this is popular abroad. Oh, we'd better watch this then. Uh, you take one class as well, I think, these You take one class. I watch that. I'm not a big K-drama watcher, but I did see those two, which tells you something mm -hmm. about the success of those dramas. Uh, that maybe that they weren't K-dramas, but they were Netflix dramas. There are arguments oh, in academia yes, that yes. they're not the, the Korean content, but they're, they're seen as something on Netflix, perhaps. They're seen as international. Right. They're seen as international and 
I wonder this with the Finnish dramas I mentioned watching as well. Netflix was a big booster of them. There's a, mm-hmm. a wave of Finnish dramas, Finnish crime dramas in production because Netflix took one, uh, Sorionen, it's called, and spread it across the world. So mm-hmm. now there's this sense of demand. Now Finland's got to pump up their drama industry. It's a country of five million, so it's a little harder for them, but they're doing it. I wonder, you know, Itaewon class seemed Korean dramatically. Uh, especially in that it was a show about Itaewon with very few foreigners involved. Uh, Squid Game was more Netflixy, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, no. And I, I haven't seen, uh, was it, was it, uh, the uh, Uyong Yong-woo. Uh, yeah, Extraordinary or Isang An Piano Sao Uyong-woo, the strange I, I attorney. I have it. Yeah. I haven't watched it, but a friend of mine, uh, an American who lives here, mm. who has worked in Hollywood, he, he's saying he, he likes it because it adheres to Western narrative structural conventions. It plays okay. like a Western show. Like it hits the dramatic beats. It sort of it does things in the way that operates in a way an American show does, mm. or more so than, uh, say, I don't know, Secret Garden or some you know Korean mm-hmm. drama from a few years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And in a way, maybe I would find the I would find it more satisfying for that reason too. But it's sort of a shame as well that it's like, do we does everybody have to conform to Hollywood? Uh, the it's Hollywood deployment of plot points and reversals and false crises and false dawns and uh, you know the structure that we've just we've all seen so much of. But again, I'm no K drama scholar. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had more than one on the show so far. But uh, yeah, it's it's is it a is it an international product or a foreign one? I mean, Japanese dramas never really took hold mm. in the world. And yeah. you go to Japan and watch them, and you can see the production values are very low by comparison to Korea. And you can see why they don't get out. Uh, in Japanese film, they've got some high-profile directors who are big here, like Koreeda uh, Hirokazu. But I, one thing I do, I, I used to be a frequent traveler to Japan before Corona. Mm. And I sort of like how they don't care that much. They don't care about reaching a global audience anymore. Mm. I think they did mm. in the 80s and 90s. The bubble burst and it was like, well, it was, uh, it was a good try. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to... We're going to make stuff for ourselves now. Maybe Korea will have a similar path. Maybe not. But I, I think it might do. I think once that international... Because today's army will be tomorrow's aunties. Oh, and, indeed. And, and, indeed. And fads and trends, they, yes. they change. I, I think Korean culture is here to stay, but the next generation will not necessarily want to listen or watch the things that their um, auntie that's older than them did. And, and, and yes. they'll want something to define their generation. It might not just be a cultural argument. It might also just be economic. And, uh, you know, in terms of development, you might find it coming from Indonesia or Singapore or they might be producing the cultural products at the right price that can spread around the world with just enough um, exoticness, but also similarity. Now, you have to hit a balance. you, You do have to hit a balance. And if we if we think about this balance, I wonder, Colin, is there a danger that we we want things to be like Korean, we want them to be authentically Korean, not mm. pandering to the West with right. these ideas or these Hollywood dramatic beats in Isang and Pyonos Oyangu. But that's a career that perhaps doesn't exist anymore. So I was I was doing a uh, television thing earlier and they was talking about um, Solal and all the ceremonies and things like this. And I said the suggestion somewhat controversially on live television that Korean culture is not 
a hanbok or a hanok or something yeah. because if you look outside you don't see those things right, right. korean culture is a, see hoodie. Jeans and a american flag t-shirt well you see all sorts i wouldn't just paint it like that but oh, do, do you, you see what i mean yeah. it's it, it's an apartment and it's netflix and it's a pair of jeans and sneakers and mm -hmm. it might be just as easily a german label on there as an american flag or something like this but but that is korean culture now and mm. it's it's dynamic and it reflects it reflects a change in ideas and values because there's a change in resources and availability mm. people have different lifestyles now and so right. they're carrying out when <clears throat> i never really got gugak korean ah, traditional music and right. i wanted to try to be all sophisticated mm, sure. and, and debonair and I, and I want to get into it this year right. and I, I never quite got it and so i asked jocelyn clark who's a fabulous mm. uh, practitioner and theorist of gugak and she said and she pointed me towards some materials but ultimately she said if you're listening it listening to it through a 4-4 perspective you, you're never going to get it it right. needs a whole different frame of mind yes. understanding beats and and then i finally got it when right. i realized it was on the one and the nine beat right. in a bar of 12. But where I'm coming with this, Colin, is that is there just, as Michael Breen would argue, who you've referenced a couple of times, these are the new Koreans, not mm -hmm. the Koreans that mm -hmm. we want to find or we expect or who yeah. do seem different and confident in yourselves. But like, no, these, these are the new Koreans here. Yeah, I always hesitate to even touch the word authenticity. I like to think I've never used it in writing once. Oh, OK. Tell uh, me about it. Really? It just it doesn't. What's the what does umbrage? Well, I. It seems when someone calls one thing authentic, one thing not authentic, they're really only making a statement about themselves, right? Uh, that I can distinguish what's authentic. That's what it means, right? And this is, you know, someone says, uh, I, I, I bought this authentic olive dip from a, a village in Italy. They're saying I have the taste to discern what is authentic and now I, I possess it. Yeah, they might be saying it is actually from that village in Italy and it's not produced in... Yeah, you just say Taiwan. it comes from there. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, from, uh, this, from this village. What, is, what work is being done by authentic, right? Or when you say, no, give me the authentic thing. Actually, it's funny. Mm. I've had uh, acquaintances, friends, even mm. sort of unknowns come from the US. Uh, and I, I take everybody up on their... So if, if someone comes, even if I don't know them, yeah. they'll say, can you show me around? I always do. It's always they ask for the authentic experience. Don't well, <laughs> they ask for the authentic Korean barbecue. Like they'll say, I have, I've had Korean barbecue in Koreatown in Los Angeles mm. or wherever. Now give me the authentic thing. So mm. I think, well, if you went to Koreatown, it's not that different from what you get in Seoul. And some Koreans say it's better in Koreatown. Mm -hmm. So I take them to, uh, you know, the neighborhood next to Iksondong? with the sort of hole-in-the-wall barbecue places. Okay, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They always love yeah, it. Yeah, 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 but yeah. because it feels like, it doesn't feel like anywhere that could be allowed to exist in the U.S. The setting, the urban setting is different. Yeah, yeah. That is, maybe they read that as authentic, but whenever whenever I hear about... So, sorry, authentic needs to be those little, like, blue plastic chairs and upturned drums. Yeah, I guess they and... like, I think that's what they mean, like... Authentic, authentic means... Is it, I don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't, to myself, I never say this is authentic. I like that part of town. It's mm. fun. Mm. It's like I never think of Han, Jong, Hung. When I'm in, in my daily Korean life, these concepts do not figure at all in the way that I describe it to myself. Do they to you? No. 
Yeah, I mean, what? when would you need them? Does authentic mean with no airs and graces or something like that, with no superficial stylization over the top? Because I'm That's thinking possible. of those restaurants now and I'm thinking, I don't know, we could go into to music with a Kim Gwang Sok or something right. like that. There's one man, there's a guitar, there's a harmonica, mm -hmm. and there's his voice. And you might say, mm. that is authentic move, uh, music because there's no, there's no icing, there's no little cherry on it. It is... There's no production beyond the man himself playing. Yeah, I used to bridle so much growing up uh, as a music listener. Whenever anybody claimed that some music was overproduced, I was like, what do you mean over overproduced? All music is produced. Where's the line? Like, where is it too much for you? Yeah. You're just trying to say that you uh, are willing to sort of how to put it, you're willing to engage with us. Sort of, this Indie rock was the big thing at that time. Like you're willing to sort of do what it takes to get into this community, this indie rock community. And mm. that's what you mean. Like you, you want to present yourself as part of something. And by complaining that some other music is overproduced, that's the function it serves. Like there's no, there's no line. Like, yeah, I, I know what people sometimes mean by overproduction, but if it sounds good, it sounds good. If it sounds bad, it sounds bad. It's not because I did too much. It's because you're a musician. I'm, this is why I'm going this mm, direction. Mm, mm. It's not because of too much production. They, made the, they might have made the wrong choices, but mm -hmm. it wasn't because there's like a quantity of production that got too high, right? Correct no. me if you think differently. No, there's there's two types of good music. There's two types of music, good music and bad music. I think there's, yes. there's that. But there's also this element that the authentic music needs to sound like garage rock and it's done uh, in a... It, it's yes. done... There's that aspect to it. I would say, however, there were these compression wars that started oh, taking that place term, in the yeah. in the late '90s, early 2000s, and there was this idea of overproduction that just sort right. of destroyed a lot of the sonic landscape of music, where there were yeah. there were there were fewer peaks and troughs, perhaps. The dynamic range went away. But is that is it overproduction, or do you mean something specific? Like, I, wishing there was dynamic range is is more valid than saying like, oh. I don't listen to that overproduced nonsense, you know. It's it's like authentic is like this in a way like I, I just like there's good music and bad music, you know. Yeah. Is it is a culture interesting or not? I don't care if it's authentic. I actually, I mean to to go back to yeah. Ian Baruma, he has a talk about cities. So it was I was right on it because that's a subject of my interest as well. And he was saying I like inauthentic cities. Uh, places that are trying to be something else, mm. places that are not the metropole, but the periphery mm. that are imitative in some way. So he was making the pro-imitation argument. Uh, you know, Japan is not, has not been a metropole in some time. It's on the periphery and knows it mm -hmm. and interprets other, interprets other cultures for its own use. You know, nothing makes its way to Japan directly. It's mm. always put through a few different filters and people don't do, people, you know, you could see someone dressed like a, caricature of an American in Japan, yeah. but he's doing his own thing very yeah. deliberately. Yeah. And it's uh, like a work of art. I can right? see that. Yeah. They're not just putting on a flag shirt because they like how the American flag looks and want some association with what they see as a rich country. I think similar things happen in Korea, although perhaps not always aesthetically, but if you bring something like democracy or feminism or capitalism mm. into Korea or Christianity, right. it goes through this Korean filter mm. and comes out. That's It's kind of recognizable. Yes. But it's done in its own it, its own different way. Oh yes, you've mentioned this idea of cities, mm -hmm. um, and I would I would say Seoul has a lot of dynamic sonic range. I mean, you oh, could yes. walk to these places, and you can you can be next to Italian cars, and it's probably the same most places in the world. But mm. 
plastic surgery studios with Italian cars, and then uh, yeah. you can see people. You still see them. Just um, what would you say with carts of cardboard walking yeah, down yeah. the road? They they, they still haven't them. disappeared. Right, I still right. at certain junctions see people standing in the middle of the road trying to sell like um, hodogwaza or, or, or uh. chestnuts or something. There's still elements of the old and the new existing as a as a man that seems perhaps rather sensitive to aesthetics in in a positive way. I say that, um, Colin. There might be people listening to this or or watching this that have not walked around Seoul, mm. that have not seen it, or perhaps <clears throat> they've done it in the past, or they've just not done it through your eyes. Yes, uh, most haven't. I would say. <laughs> That's a uh, yeah. We're getting there, neural links or something. Um, how take us through a walk through Seoul if you can. Give us the the country as you see it. The country or the city of Seoul in particular. <clears throat> Whatever interests you. Maybe if Seoul is, or you wanted to look at the Korean city, so it could be an abstract version. Of right, right, right. You, you you can always tell you're in Seoul, right? If it's some, even if you can't point to why you think that, even if everything around you is is an imitation of something else, somehow the mm. the mixture is uh, it it screams. This is Korea. Uh, I noticed that even when I was first watching Korean movies, uh, when I was learning the language, just starting. Every shot, even if you couldn't see the Korean language, if you couldn't see Hangul, you would know. That's somehow I know that's Korea. I've never been there, but mm. that's that's what it is. It has the aesthetic is difficult to pin down sometimes. But even when I was first eating, like my very first exposure to Korean culture was eating at Korean restaurants mm -hmm. in uh, the suburbs of Seattle where I grew up, and you could just tell. Even take the food aside, the the look and feel of the restaurant itself. Mm. I was thinking, this is definitely not Japan. And it's definitely not China. Mm. But what is it? What am I sensing? What am I picking up on? That's that's different. And so, in a way, I'm still doing that uh, these twenty-something years later. Uh, so when you know, when I walk through Seoul, I always wonder: Is just like with the Korean language, is it hard or not? Is Seoul ugly or not? People complain that it's ugly almost instinctively, uh, like Seoul equals ugly. Like it's axiomatic. Mm -hmm. And it was the same with Los Angeles. People would say, oh, it's so ugly. Mm -hmm. But I never saw that many vistas individually that I would call particularly ugly or particularly attractive in many cases. But The apartments are something. Those lines boy, of yeah. apartments. There, there's something. It falls short of sublime, I will say. But <laughs> there is, they're, they're, they are like a, like a geological force erupting from the city. Uh, but the, yeah, those apartments. There's, did you ever read this book? Uh, Three Tigers, One Mountain. I but, did. Yeah. So there's a passage, my favorite passage, I think, or the one I reference the most is Michael Booth, this English writer, is driving along, looking at the uh, Apata Danji mm. on, along the roadside. And he's like, why do I hate these so much? What, why, <laughs> what bothers me so much about them? And he thinks about it. And he comes yeah. down to, it's the numbers. It's the numbers on the side, like 201, 202, 203. And he's like, what is the number? What, what's the problem with the number? And mm. you could say, well... I don't know. It's oh, it's it reminds me of the Soviet Union or something. Everything mm. has got a number stamped on it. But he said he said something insightful, mm. which was that it's because they're so big, and because they're so big, you feel like they should be identifiable by size alone, identifiable on sight. Yet yeah. they also need a number as if they were small. So it's there's a, a sort of discomforting mismatch. There's like a conceptual mismatch, like something that big having a number. Yeah. And I don't hate those. About the dungeon, I don't like them. I don't want them to go away, but 
they don't offend me on the a deep level in the way they offend many Americans or Englishmen. There's something mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you did you what did you feel when you first saw them? When you first saw the Dunji when you got here? It's very difficult for me to comprehend because we associate perhaps in in Kent in the south of England where mm-hmm. I'm from that apartments or high rises flats they would right. be not the most luxurious of places right. that they would be you know for for a certain class not that there's anything wrong with that but if you don't have a garden or something mm-hmm. if you don't have a little fence then mm. you're not quite made it um, made it, yes. but in Korea that's quite the opposite right you only it, make it when you get there you only the make dungeon. it when you get there and yeah. so I I really struggled to see it through Korean eyes as a sign of affluence and growth and yeah. uh, prosperity perhaps as right. they do see it but now I'm fascinated by this idea you mentioned of that because it is not the building itself it's those huge large numbers painted on the side yes. and i wonder if they were done with in hangul ah. rather than numbers or if they had like a if they were the, the a, hanja, a hanja yeah. or something like this would yeah. it would it seem a little bit more right i don't know they would do... you know what gets me more than the numbers on some of these complexes it's the names the just <sighs> Richenzia? Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Are, do Koreans fall for this? Like, oh, Richenzia. I, I must be rich if I live in Richenzia. I think they do fall for it. That's what Hyun They're not that unsophisticated. Like, they're not bumpkins. You know what I mean? Like, what what is the thinking here? Is it because it's in a foreign language, kind of? That it's like, well, it doesn't really mean rich. It's just like, an, you know, I hear this all the time about Konglish. Mm. When I make fun of some Konglish word that substitutes for a perfectly good Korean word. Mm. They're like, no, no, it, it's not English. It's just, it doesn't mean anything. That's just, you know, we're just mm. using that. Okay, but what were you going to say? It was Hyunu, who you mentioned earlier yeah. from Talk To Me In Korean, that said it might sound Richenzia or paradise villa or something yeah. like this they, they it would be worse than that um but it doesn't resonate with us yeah but it yeah. does to them yeah. and so we're the wrong audience do you we're see not, what i mean you there? know this is this is so well matched with what's going on now because you've seen the ads for the new seoul city slogan in English, oh it right? was it wasn't the seoul one so much although yeah. that is terrible but right. the pusan one which is oh, what are they doing in in korean it's pusan ila jotta it's yeah. good because it's Busan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In English, Busan is good. <laughs> I've, I've seen worse. <laughs> Let's be honest. I've seen much worse. And you could, but like the Seoul one. What is the Seoul one now? Well, they're, the... they're picking it. You have four choices. Oh, like, awesome Seoul or something. Seoul, make it happen. It doesn't matter. But the with this replaces uh, I Seoul You, the notorious I Seoul You. <laughs> and I, I came around on I Seoul You. Uh, why I bring this up is, I think there was a piece by Andy Salmon, whom we both know, uh, when this, when I Sold You was rolled out, which is when I moved here. And he was arguing, look, it's not for English speakers. It's for people who can't speak English. Yeah. It's English for people who can't speak English. Mm-hmm. And that is what most or all of the English in Korea is. So, you you know, you show foreign friends around who visit and they, they laugh at every little mistake that's made or nonsensical piece of English. But you mm-hmm. think... It's not for us, and in some sense, it's not for anyone. It's just slapped up there to be an English or English-like word, mm. and it's fulfilling its function. I yeah. mean, it's, in many ways, many things in Korea bring me back to this idea of language as not a vector of communication, of meaning, but of language as a, as a tool to make something happen. Like, Richenzia is like an incantation. It's not a, it's not a communicate. Mm-hmm. Richenzia means nothing, mm-hmm. or all these fake words ending in eum. I mean, mm-hmm. They've had a field day with the eum yeah. uh, suffix. But, you know, a lot of, Eng- especially it, English used here throws into stark contrast, like a lot of 
language is used not to mean something but to do something. Hmm. And uh, it's hmm. true in our native language as well. It's true of everyday communication. But we forget this because we're, we use words in our work. We forget that people are not using words to communicate a meeting much of the time, just to do something. They want, to, they want something to happen. Yeah. So they say the words. It's almost, you know, we're all primitives in that sense. We're all people, we're all uh, would-be wizards giving our incantations and hoping to get something in return, right? Mm. And the words are important. I, I've often believed this, and my friend Chris often sends me articles when he, when he sees this because without the word, without the term, without identifying a, an aspect of society or behavior, it sort of goes unnoticed. I found that with Kaptil. So Kaptil is defined sort of as the abuse of power, mm -hmm. let's say, uh, someone going on a power trip. And right. now most Korean relationships are hierarchical. So mm -hmm. there's always a power distance involved. But this word really came to the fore in about 2014-15 with the Korean air and the, mm. uh, the nut throwing and everything else. And all of a sudden, everywhere across society, there was kaptil, kaptil, kaptil. Yes, People were talking erupts. about it. Yes. And, but of course, kaptil existed before then. Right. Long the the behavior would always be there. Mm -hmm. But then when somebody got the word to describe it, it was, ah, there it is. Right, and it's right. the same with that kind of the hon culture that yes. came out with the honbab, the honsul. Yeah, now yeah. we have the, the sabasa. Uh, <laughs> we just saram by saram. We just go uh, our own way. That's a funny one, too, because it combines the two. Like sa ba sa, or what I like is uh, gap ob gap. Yeah, Have you heard that one? No, no. Gap ob gap. Gap ob gap. Tell me it. Like the gap of the gap. The gap of the gap. Like the okay. highest of the high. Gap okay. of gap. Okay. When I saw it, I just it was unintelligible the first time because it mixed yeah. the two languages. And yeah. it, oh, but now I hear it. Now I notice it, so I hear it so often. Gap ob gap. Gap ah. gap ob gap. So that's it's the same as sabasa because it's using a Korean yeah. word, an English word, a Korean yeah, word. This put hideous <laughs> mixture <laughs> to my mind, but not to them, I guess. But with those words now, it gives rise to that behavior. And without yeah, yeah. the words to communicate it, that behavior might not manifest or it might not come out. It perhaps. might not. It might not. Although, Kapjil, with the Korean term, it's in danger of being considered a specifically Korean phenomenon when... I'm not sure about that. I think Gapjil is well known in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and this is something, I mean, complaints about Korea, it's not just expats. We, we hear every day from Koreans that we know uh, complaints about Korea and with a remarkably similar tone sometimes. Mm. But often they seem to be based in a fantasy of what other countries are like. Mm. Like, okay, yeah, Korea has things that are bad about it, but are those things better in other countries? Mm. On, I mean, when someone says they, you know, when someone says they feel fear on the streets of Seoul, they're not being frivolous. They do feel that. Mm. But if you ask, do you think it's, do you think that violent crime is not as bad in Paris or London or New York? They freak out. But I mean, unless the comparison is Tokyo, it's not, it's not better in other yeah. places. It's actually better here. And I understand that you feel fear in Seoul, but you would be right to feel more fear elsewhere, right? The comparison is sort of off sometimes there's no there's no cogent basis of comparison agreed yeah no agreed we will come back to the aesthetics of so because we got yes. to the apartments and we yeah. immediately went on a tangent it's been a lovely oh, yes. tangent thus far but when you said that kaptil occurs anywhere mm -hmm. and i i would agree and that's why i use the word going on power trip we can think of weinsteins or various yes. people uh, stories that are there in our culture ripped from the headlines yes 
but there is a hierarchy in Korean relationships. Yeah. I I I, yeah. I just wonder if I can get you to speak about this because it's something that I often have trouble communicating to mm. my international students, right, and it's right. like. What you want to understand is if you're here in Korea, speaking Korean, interacting with Korean people, mm -hmm. I don't say the names of people older than me. Yeah, Th that would not, be yeah. inherently bad. And you, I, you might not I, know the names of people exactly, older than you. Exactly, and, and you, you shut up and you kind of watch and you follow the leader mm -hmm. and use your nunchi and all this. Right. And I, I don't mean to go down that road of making everything sound magical and different, but right. I do believe there is something in personal dynamics where you and I, irrespective of our ages or backgrounds, can sit here right. on a level and speak to each other as Colin and David. That yes. would be a little bit different if we were Korean. It would be. Although, to my mind, this this is uh, the differences between not hierarchy and lack thereof, but overt and covert hierarchy. Okay. In the U.S., I would say, is, is plenty hierarchical, and it's dense with codes and with dense with uh, customs and uh, taboos, but no one's going to spell them out for you. Could you give me? I, I'm from England. We have, we have class and everything. And we have England people with double-barreled surnames and I mean, accents. England, you know, there are things you can say, you can't say. No one's going to tell you. Yeah. There's behaviors you can exhibit and not. No one's going to tell you. Yeah. And in in the U.S., you know, there's this reputation of it being a country where everybody does every whatever they want at all times with no repercussions. But there's a very specific line you can tow there, mm. and if you step off it, you'll be regarded as weird or somehow suspect. Mm -hmm. Like keeping up with. I don't think I've been able to. This is something else Brian Meyer said about, uh, you know, he, he wouldn't want to be an academic in the U.S. Mm -hmm. because his impression was you can't turn around with bumping into some kind of taboo. Yeah. And at this point, he doesn't know what they are. And I wouldn't either. Like, yeah. I don't actually know when I go to the U.S. What is what can I say? What can't I say <laughs> in what company? I mean, it's, it would be dangerous even to start bringing up examples here. But yeah. there are things you can't say. And you know what they are in Korea. Yeah. That's the thing. You know what you can't say. You know what you can't do. And I want to know what way the wind is blowing. Yeah. Uh, in in the U.S., like, I don't know how much trouble I could get in uh, without, because you don't know where the guidelines are. Like, where does the track end? What am I not supposed to think or say? Uh, no one, you're just supposed to know on some level. Uh, and it depends on, of course, the coterie you're within, but no one will spell it out. Let me give you one story on this. There mm -hmm. was a a visiting group of young scholars from Wellesley College, I believe it's uh -huh. called. It's uh, in the United States. It's yes. a woman's only academic institution. I believe Hillary Clinton went there. Ah, okay. Uh, they were visiting and they were doing a like a two-month course on Korean history and culture. Mm -hmm. And after the first lesson, um, the professor that was teaching them, they were like, we will not accept this professor. And so I got a phone call like, we need you to start tomorrow. There's these... but. Th that professor they won't and I was like what happened they said something that they shouldn't can you tell me what was said and they yes. were like no no we can't say it and so I, I walked into this situation going there's all of these topics from the United yeah. States that probably I'm not allowed to say and I'm yeah. not sure what they are by the way the, the course finished beautifully and I, I, oh, I yes. love many of those students and it went and it went you didn't step on a landmine well if I did they were forgiving of me do you have but, a sense of what your predecessor did wrong like what wire no, oh, okay. no, I don't. And it, it was a, an American, by the way. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. even a, a Korean. You might have um, benefited from being not being an American yourself, right? Just because it's there is a distance. But if you're an American, would these students were American or no? Yeah, they were all from yeah. Americans. Yeah. There's a sense like we can judge each other 
and harsh. We, we are judge, yes, jury, executioner yes. for each yes, other. Yes, yes, yeah. We wouldn't be with somebody, even from a country as culturally close as the UK. Maybe that's why one time when I turned up here in a in a pair of jeans rather than a blazer and a yeah. shirt, they said, no, you should be dressed smart. They wanted that Britishness, oh, perhaps. My. And that, yes. that's what got me over the line. But you're absolutely correct to say that many of these conversations that are becoming difficult, and I'm trying to stay cognizant of them in, in the West, they're not here in Korea. They're not here in Korea. They're, they're just not. And I, yeah. I, I agree with um, Brian Myers because you don't have to worry about mm pronouns and things like that in class. And that's not to say worrying about them is good or bad, but it's just... You don't just, have to use a pronoun at all in the Korean language if you don't want to. I, I asked my Korean students one time because we, I've mix of them and I asked the Korean ones, would you like to know my pronouns and sexuality? They all looked at me, wait, God, God yeah. damn, yes. David, no, like, yes. we don't want to know that. Close that Pandora's box. I asked some international students, they went, yeah. Yeah, we need that. Yeah, we, no, we, they, we, we would want be to know that. If we didn't yeah, have it. It's so yeah. different. Yeah, I, I don't know anybody that age as, you know, when... Being a professor, you you stand with the, with the young people. You stay hip with the kids, right? <laughs> Whereas I don't. I know barely anybody under thirty five. So uh, I'm I'm double out of the conversation in that way, uh, age wise, and uh, was sort of based on where I am, uh, where I'm where, where I'm living, culturally culturally being in Korea. What I like about it is that the. Um, being around young people often breaks my stereotypes about young people. Uh, like I said, that those experiences with various young people, it's its not often as bad as it seems, right. as it might be. You said that there are certain things in American culture that you don't uh, transgress or things like that. I was trying to get you to speak, if you could, about hierarchical relationships. Mm. You might not perceive them as hierarchical. Right. But the reason I want to ask you is that you speak Korean, you interact with Korean people in Korean. Right. And so you, but you also have a Western perspective to some mm -hmm. extent, or you have both of them. Do you have any sense of how I perceive it as a hierarchy? I perceive it as mm. now I, this person is above me. There's no equality here, right? Like I yeah. do what this yeah. person says. Yeah, that's, it is. I, I, uh, I have, I, I wouldn't say that there, I wouldn't say that hierarchy is absent in Korea. Uh, and I don't mind it. I, yeah, I'm it, still here. Yeah, it, it's uh, hierarchy has has been. It used to be a neutral term, but it's been weaponized. You know, now you can say, "Oh, this." If, if somebody says Korea is a hierarchical society, they they mean it's <laughs> to to borrow from George Orwell to borrow from 1984. Mm -hmm. It's ungood. Mm. That's the valence of it. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think I was actually going there. Not even unconsciously. Right. I I think it was more. Uh, descriptive rather than normative, if you see what yes, I mean by yes, that. Yes, yes. So how do I feel about, how do I, how do I interact with the hierarchies here? Or uh, I, can you speak to it? Because it's something that I've mm. observed and I navigate it quite well, I must admit. Uh, and that's why I'm still here. Right, and right. I realize that the the hierarchy, we need a new word so we, we don't have this negative connotations yes. or something. This is not all yeah. for Codian power games, right? Indeed, indeed. Um, but your place in the hierarchy is dynamic and it changes and you might be yeah. top, you might be bottom. I'm just trying to get you to with your vividly. eloquence, yeah. yeah, to try to speak to it as you see it. I, yes, as we, we're foreigners here, so we, we don't slot easily into the hierarchy, number one. And I, what, if anything, has sort of bothered me about it, it's uh, being addressed too formally, like being being put a bit <laughs> too high. You know, somebody who's 20 years older than me, when they're calling me Son Sing Nim, uh, I don't feel like they need to do that, right. and they're probably waiting for my for for me to say you don't have to. 
mm-hmm. but I don't feel like it's my place to tell them to do that either. Yeah. So I, I've, I do struggle with that, just to letting people know, like, you don't have to be that formal. I mean, especially if they're older than I am. Yeah. You don't need to treat me like I'm older than you. Uh, and, you know, it's difficult. If I think of any Korean person I talk to in, in Korea or otherwise, I know how I speak to them. Mm-hmm. What, what, lang- what level of the language am I using? Mm-hmm. And what's, I guess this is fun, uh, it can be interesting, is when you have them together in one place, mm-hmm. when you're out with somebody you speak banmal to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in my case, maybe my girlfriend, uh, or then somebody you speak the highest, uh, you say nopinmal to, or, you know, mm-hmm. every, uh, every day nopinmal, you know, yeah. not the emperor, but if I was speaking to her dad, for instance, and then if her sister is there, well, then I've got to aim between yeah. because I don't want to go to Banmal. She is younger than me. Yeah. But again, also, you, you don't want to be presumptuous. I don't think I've ever spoken Banmal to somebody who I don't know well, who is who is not a young child, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is probably kind of weird. If I was speaking to a 12-year-old yeah. in Chondemal, I think they'd be that, a little that like, would be well, wrong. Isang Han. Yeah. But I'm, again, I'm a Weguin, so... People don't really care. Mm-hmm. As long as you're functional, mm-hmm. they're pleased. I mean, mm-hmm. as, as an American friend who visited oh, years ago said, you know, people, when you start talking to them, they look, they have two emotions they express on their face. Number one is surprise. Number two is relief. Yeah. And so we get leeway there. And I've, I've never made any kind of real transgression with the language and that sort of linguistic hierarchy. But mm-hmm. it is when you're rapidly talking to different people, when yeah. you're addressing multiple people who are different levels to you, then it does get difficult, but it's not it's not that bad. It's not intellectually hard. No. You have to do it in a split second. Right. But I don't mind it. In no sense do I mind it. I don't think, uh, I might not be representative of Americans, but I'm like, I don't think, oh man, if only I could just speak to everyone the same. <laughs> if just like we'd all do banma. I don't care. I don't think that would improve my life. Mm. And it wouldn't improve theirs either, no. I don't think. No. But there are, I meet Americans, I meet expats of various kinds who they rail against that. They can't even speak Korean. They rail against the, the hierarchy in the language. Yes. Or, I mean, I was talking to one a long time ago, uh, an, an Englishman, not to, not to pick on the English, but uh, just to give vivid detail, mm. who taught in English some other subject at the university. And mm. he'd been deep in his cups at that point in the night. And he's saying, this is a conversation I've had a few different times with different nationality expats. They say, you know, what if I, if I learned to speak Korean? He couldn't, of course. If I learned to speak Korean and I take Korean nationality, when will I be Korean? And I'm thinking, you're not going to be Korean. You'll mm-hmm. never be Korean. You can't become Korean. And for many, not just Brits, but um, Yanks as well, you know, they, something inside them really does not sit, that doesn't sit well with them. Mm-hmm. I think, what do you mean I can't become Korean? They have no interest in becoming Korean. They don't want, if they could, they wouldn't. It's just but that they can't. Why can't I be Korean? Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like a... I'll pick on Americans. Like this is kind of an exportation of an American idea of citizenship that you mm-hmm. can become, uh, you can become a citizen of another country in every sense. We can be Korean citizens. Yeah. That's not close to us, uh, but we will never be seen as Korean. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Do, do, how do you feel about this? It's fascinating because you have civic nationalism you have cultural nationalism and you have ethnic nationalism and certain places are civic whereas mm. many koreans could go to the united states to los angeles to, to france to sweden to, to finland and go and see these new dramas and they could become a citizen of those places no 
problems asked. They they do a test and they, right. they because it's a civic type of nationalism and right. the nationalism is defined by the passport, by the allegiance to the state, as mm. it were. In mm. Korea, it's ethnic, isn't it? And that's that's to said, a certain extent. It's yes, and but in 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 the U.S. There is this is maybe one of these things you can't talk about, but it's also cultural. And I've said this publicly before, and I think people know that it is true on some level. So I, I don't mind saying it again. Uh, U.S. citizenship does not get you regarded culturally as an American necessarily. Okay. Uh, you know, in, in the turn of the 20th century, when there were many Italians or Irish or Germans coming, the thinking seems to have been: you become a citizen, and your grandkids. Will be Americans. Maybe your kids. Mm. They'll be they'll be full Americans. Yeah. Not you. It's mm -hmm. too late for you. You mm -hmm. can become a citizen, but maybe your family will be American. That seems to have been forgotten about, or people decided it wasn't fast enough. Uh, mm. Now you get there is the sense like I have an American passport now. Uh, now you have to acknowledge me as an American. They won't do it though. That's the thing. Like they people will say you're a citizen. Nobody's going to treat you as culturally an American in the mm -hmm. same way as we would never be treated culturally as a Korean. And I don't desire to be. And when I go to the U.S., I don't feel like I am among my people either, necessarily. So, it's, But we pretend that, you know, I was talking to a, a guy in Denmark a while ago, and he was saying, you know, what I love about the U.S. is that it's uh, anybody can become an American. And mm -hmm. yes and no, it's, as I just say, it's, there's a way in which you can and a way in which you can't. Uh, and it's not a bad thing not to be American, but I, yeah, there's the, the, the American idea of Americans take with them the American idea of of nation of citizenship of nationality, you know, it's mm -hmm. always a surprise to us to find that other countries don't have birthright citizenship, mm -hmm. or most don't. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, you get drunken expats here saying, "Why, why, why? If I were born here, why couldn't I be Korean?" Well, because you're not Korean. And then you always get to like, "Well, then who's Korean? Is it, if I if if I was ethnically Korean but couldn't speak Korean, as an adoptee Korean, who's just like this like salami slicing?" And it's like, mm -hmm. look. A four-year-old child in Korea knows exactly who's Korean and who's not. Yep. When you get to 34, you pretend you don't know. And what's who is that serving? Right? Yeah, it's it's legally there was there were big changes in that I'll get I, I believe it was around 1994. Whereas if you were born of a um, a Korean woman but a foreign father, you didn't automatically get Korean citizenship. Right, it had right. to come through the father. So there's been legal changes. There's been cultural changes. Right. I think it's just identity has become such a big key issue these yes, days of, of what is somebody and how can you be somebody. I I have so many young students coming into class going, am I Korean? Like TCKs, I'm not sure if you're aware of this concept. Third culture uh, kids. Oh, yeah. I've heard they, you talk about it on the they're show. They're growing up all over the world and they're coming yeah. back and they will ask me because a four-year-old knows who's Korean. Yes. These people are Korean, right? Mm. But they don't know whether the Shilla dynasty came before or after the Joseon dynasty. And they're, they're coming a back. A lot of Koreans don't know that too. <laughs> That's a very trite example. Yes. I would imagine that most people would know. But yeah, you see yeah, what sure. I mean? They, they feel completely alienated from it. And so mm. it, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing. And it's, I don't know. It feels like identity is becoming harder. But in Korea, it seems to be pretty easy still, the question of identity. Distinctions are still pretty sharply drawn. Still sharply drawn. I've... I've thought about looking into Korean citizenship. Oh, yes. I, I've, I think about it fairly often. Other expats make fun of me for that. I wasn't sure that you would, uh, what your reaction would be. Or, yeah. I, it's not necessarily so I can become 
Korean. I don't right. believe that that would be the case, but I think it's more to show respect and to show some kind of, I'm not sure what it might be, civil behavior to the people that have shown me such civility. And, right, there's a quid uh, pro quo there. There is something going on there. And also I want to, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure, I haven't thought these thoughts out in my mind completely yet but there's this there's this gnawing thing at the back is there a reason not to do it in your mind i the the reason is why do something what, ah, I see. do you see what i mean by yes, that do yes, yes. do i really need to do it or am i just doing it as if to say haha look at me i've done something I'm, that you haven't done well that's the expat thing right the internal competition among expats uh but nobody's taken it to that level yet. You know, you hear you hear this sort of when expats get together, it, it can be fun. But there's also this undercurrent of like, who's the as a, a friend put it, who's the best expat? <laughs> and no one has very few have taken it to that. Like, well, I'm a citizen Yeah. Uh, because it's not it's not a skill you can become. I mean, there are a lot of Korean citizens who were just athletes and such who were just sort of waved in. Brother Anthony, I'm thinking of immediately, who yeah. got his citizenship Hello. and writes Hello, and Shin publishes. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's, he's a good example. And he, he was the era when, as I've heard, he went to the office to get his citizenship and they said, oh, good, great. Come back in two weeks. Mm. Why? Because they the paperwork didn't exist. Wow. They, they couldn't give him a form. They didn't have one. They hadn't made it. Mm. Nobody had come into that, at least that area and asked, like, could I become a citizen? Yeah. And this was in the... I guess the 80s. I believe it was in the 80s, yeah. yeah. And if we did it, that wouldn't be a problem. But you know, there, there's the question of what you gain. Uh, and the, the benefits are not that tempting. I mean, voting in, voting in the highest elections. Mm -hmm. I've never voted in any election, so, even in the U.S. Uh, so it would be a little bit disingenuous of me to say that I need to have the right to vote here, you know, to be a full person. But, you know, it's I was one of the things that I wrote in this book of essays that my editor my Korean editor liked a lot mm. was I said, I don't need to call this country Urinara. And I think even if I don't, I can still contribute. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you, you probably met foreigners who they hate the Urinara thing. Mm -hmm. They hate the, all the Uri, like Uri, Uri, our, our, because they, I guess they feel like they're being actively excluded. Mm. And maybe I don't mind feeling excluded. It's, it's okay not to be part of the Uri. Like it's, I don't feel like I'm somehow uh, less of a human being for that. Mm -hmm. I'm, yes, I'm not, I'm less of a participant in the society, yeah. but is that bad? I don't think so. It fascinates me that you've never voted. But before I come to that, <laughs> uh, I was working on a program for the Bumubu, the Ministry of Justice. Yeah. And that was the change from the identity cards to stop saying alien registration card uh, to foreign resident. And you would yeah. know. And that was because there were people that already felt very alienated in society. They were often from Southeast Asia. Yes, yes. They were often from other it. parts of Asia and they were just getting, because I, we should probably touch on this if identity does matter, but I, I would suggest that white privilege exists to a certain degree here. I'll, well, I'll get your take on this, but these people from Southeast Asia and other parts of Asia, they, they were expressing in these meetings for the Ministry of Justice that like they get, they get shit on a lot here right. and they, they get treated very badly and people mm. might not be immediately speaking mm. uh, the highest honorific languages to them like they might be to you despite being older than them. Right. And so they said, while this might seem uh, a trivial change to us, it's just going to relieve our alienation by one step 
And yeah. there were many people that pushed back. Oh, I like being alien. I like being outside. And they were generally, I think, the expats that you're talking about in your cups. Do but... what thou wilt, I would say. I mean, this is not one way or the other. It's the same. Uh, there's a there was there's a French philosopher, Jolet, I think I forget his name, but he has a quote I love, which is, "We change the name when we can't change the thing. You can't. We cannot change alienness." So we change the name to something else. Mm. You know, we know we can't change the but thing. But we're not changing the thing itself. It's just... Um, we can't change right. it. We, we change the name because we can't change the thing. Give me an example of one. Well, okay. Uh, I'll try to find the least... Give <laughs> me the least number of uh, angry comments. Uh, in the US, I don't know if the UK is similar, but uh, the, the word homeless. Uh, homeless for someone who lives on the street, who, who sleeps rough. Homeless was... Homeless is now being challenged. It has been for years. Like, mm. No, we have to call them the unhoused. No, no. We have to call them persons experiencing homelessness. Mm. No, no. Persons experiencing unhousedness. Mm -hmm. uh, homeless itself was a euphemism yeah. for bums. Like people should just call them bums or derelicts. Or, mm -hmm. or, uh, and that homeless was like, no, we have, we've, got to, we've got to call them homeless. We've got to be respectful. And then these always lose their power. Their euphemistic power goes away. Because society has contempt for the thing itself, you can't get rid of that. Like the word, you can change the word, but the contempt will never go away. Mm. Uh, and so we change the name, pretending we can change the thing. But changing the name shows that we cannot change the thing. You're not going to, you're not going to do it with a change of terminology. It just won't mm -hmm. happen. And there are other examples I will not name because I will get uh, the, of the reaction I will get. But the U.S. has begun euphemisms, and every euphemism, you know, they just get swapped out and swapped out and swapped out because. People don't. People are. People have trouble with the concept itself. The yeah. thing is naming. The name isn't the problem. They don't like the thing. And you know, when you get down to what people don't like, uh, there's really nothing you can do. Certainly nothing with words. George Carlin did a lot on euphemisms in his stand-up and right. how we. I guess this is back to Orwell as well. I mean, Orwell had this wonderful essay, "Why Are Beggars Despised," which I believe was in the latter stages oh, of yes. Down and Out in Paris and London. Yeah, and yes, 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 yes. he came to it that. The reason we hate beggars is because they're poor. If they were yes. rich, we would like them. It's right. that's what it is about them, and and we have these standards of fascination that purely comes down to money. Although I do like that idea in that because we feel frustrated by our inability to address certain things at a transformative level, mm -hmm. at a fundamental level, then we just play with window dressing and yes, names and instead and it, so you know, maybe that was what that changed we form a committee and they work on a name and it's just like yeah we change the name when we can't change the thing sorry ministry of justice it was uh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't change the thing we just changed the name although the although name. some people did like it um i would suggest that i i get treated kind of nicely here sometimes mm. i mean i've done uh, today i've done two radio shows and uh, and one television show and i would suggest that some of what I achieve is because people go, oh, there's a British professor. There's a <laughs> no, white British professor. I will not say all of yes. that is what. You're because, a Yonguk Shinsa. Yes. Uh, Do you still hear that these days? Yeah, in, in, in taxis. Oh, naturally. Uh, sometimes it's, if I've had a few cups or something like that and I'm sitting in the back of a taxi late yeah. at night, I like I the expression. too. I'm not even a Yonguk. I, I like the cups idea of yes, it because they're not normally cups that I'm drinking. <laughs> um, but the, the taxi driver will just kind of Turned, not turned to me, but asked me, 
are you American? Ah, uh, they start that way. They they start that way, and I'm like, because they must perceive something of interesting. me. And I'm like, interesting. No, I'm English, and they and they sort of change a little bit, mm. and then depending on how I feel, then I'll sometimes tell them I'm a professor, and their whole being kind yes, of changes yes. at oh, me. So I, I sometimes make people guess; they never get it right. Yeah, I some I had an Indian friend, uh, professor, incredibly intelligent, who would just used to tell people that he worked in a factory just to see how differently just they would treat him, you know, just to play with people. Yes, yes. Yeah, I. Uh, you can have some fun with these interactions. Sometimes yeah. you can you know, pretend to be one thing, or, one thing or another. But as I say, I was never, I never felt that at home in the U.S., partially because even there, people would ask what country I came from uh, or what accent did I have or what language was I speaking when it was English. Yeah. I don't know why, but it was the sort of thing that dogged me. And so when I came to Korea, it wasn't that different on that level. There was still everybody was asking, "Where are you? What other country are you from?" Because uh, it can't be this one. Uh, I don't know what it is, but that part is similar in my U.S. and and Korea lives. There is an element of you, and I, I hope you don't take this uh, badly, Colin. Yes, here we go. That a bit sort of Graham Greene or something. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if that. I like Graham Greene. You like Graham yeah, Greene, yeah. okay? But that our man in Havana, that kind of timelessness or neither here nor there, but also everywhere at the same time. A certain. You. I'll take that as a compliment. I do get a little bit of that from you. Americans can be one of two things, I find. You know, the, there's the American who always has the bubble of America around him. Mm -hmm. Wherever he goes, it's America. Mm -hmm. He's playing by American rules. Mm -hmm. He's certainly dressing by American rules. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the world is America to him. Mm -hmm. I like to think I don't do that. Uh, but then there's also this, the Americans who become weird and placeless and just like, what's going on with you? I think mm -hmm. I, I've got reactions that are more like the second group than right. the first. And I'd rather, I mean, all told, I'd rather be the second than the first. But mm -hmm. Americans tend to break down in that way. Uh, the English seem more self-assured. Uh, self-assured living in other places like yes they may hate where they live mm -hmm. uh, but they they don't pretend it's England and they don't lose their distinctiveness either for the most part you could you could have a different view on this than I yeah. do yeah. of your countrymen it's I think many people would say that I've lost my Englishness the, have the you? amount of I think you don't I, go home to a, I mean, PG tips <laughs> <laughs> I walked I walked into a, the village uh, hospital where my my mum works for the NHS and I was going to see one of her friends and pick something up. I walked in there and asked to see my mum's friend. I said, can I speak to Miss Julie Brody, please? And I'd, I'd just been back in Kent for a day or two at the time. The lady walked into the back and she went, Julie, there's a Canadian out here for you. And I was just standing <laughs> just there. A Canadian. <laughs> just, my, my wife looked at me and went, wow, is this how people treat is you? Is this here? how people treat you? That's, yeah. That is funny. I, I, uh, she was very specific with that. I mean, she, the confidence of that. There's a Canadian yeah, yeah, there for you. Yeah. What do you think she she honed in on? I'm I'm not sure, but she probably had an idea what an American was. Uh, what that? I so. wasn't an American, so probably not one of us. Probably a Canadian. Uh, yeah. Living abroad can 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 change you in subtle ways that you don't pick up on, right? You've been out longer than I have. You've got to adapt to your environment, and also the um, the communicating and trying to get ideas across to not always mm. uh, native speakers and things like that, I, right. I think makes you neutralize certain elements of your speech. Um, while we're here and because we haven't got here, we started an aesthetic walk through yes. Seoul and we got to the apartment buildings yeah, with the yeah. numbers on. What else do you like? I mean, I, I like to walk through Xijiang. Uh, and I, one reason why 
Xijiang being market, sorry. You read the covered market. People know what people watching this know what a Xijiang is. Mm. Uh, we can okay. We'll we'll lay it out there. Yeah. Uh, I, I as I say, I live in Xinchon, which has everything but a Xijiang. So one reason why I'll be glad to mo- be moving to the south, uh, mm. to the southwest of the city is mm. there'll be Xijiang around, and yeah. they're fun. They're stimulating. They're they have a certain rusticity, but not they don't overdo it. Mm. They're not rustic because they're tourist attractions, right? No, no, no. Because no, people no. go to them. Yeah. They tourists love them. You take them to maybe Guangzhou, Xijiang is a tourist trap, yeah. but the people still go. It's still like a real place, and you know there are Xijiang everywhere. People don't think to visit to seek them out themselves, mm-hmm. but if you take them, they're like, "Whoa, I'm in the I'm in the real Korea." And whether that's true or not, who can say? But it is at any rate a place where Koreans actually go to shop, and you can get good things there for very cheap. Uh, yeah, good things to eat, especially. Uh, so I like to pass through Xijiang when possible. I like. I like spaces like the uh, the Uljiro Jihabodo. You know that mm-hmm. thing, going between City Hall Station and uh, Dongdaemun. I think, mm-hmm. just because it's every section is different, and you never are sure what businesses you're going to find down there. It's going to be like a tailor, and then maybe a mask shop these days, a new wave coffee shop, then a very old wave coffee shop where yeah. everybody is over the age of seventy. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's like a parallel world down there. And I walk through that every chance I get. Uh, Christopher Hawthorne. The uh, chief design officer of Los Angeles came to visit. I took him right there. That was the first place, the Uljiro Jihabodo. So these are underground sort of. Yeah. What would you call it? Arcade, perhaps. Or? I guess so. I guess so. And I've, it's I, when I go. To, I, I'm a big fan of Osaka in Japan, and they have mm-hmm. Shijang type things. But uh, Fukuoka has a, has an underground has a has a Jihabodo, which is you know an intriguing cultural comparison. How does Korea do the Jihabodo versus mm-hmm. how does Japan do it? Okay. Toronto has one too. I go to. Mm-hmm. I often go to Toronto. Uh, and you know, this is the Korean version is intriguing to me though. I mean, it's, I, I can sometimes give Korea a hard time because so many things are, they feel like they're not Korean. They are the Korean version of something else, mm-hmm. but the Korean version is often pretty fun. Yeah. Like, uh, K-pop is the Korean version of something, but clearly they're doing a good job. Yes. They're, they're tapping into something. Uh, I'm not the biggest K-pop listener now, but in high school, I did on my MP3 player, first generation MP3 player that could hold 10 songs. Two of those are from Babyvox. Wow. That was like 2000, I think. Uh, so I, you know, I've listened to some K-pop uh, in my time. Before many K-pop fans were born, I was listening to K-pop. You're, you're Thank you very much. You're throwing some OG status yes. here. You're trying yes. to say, no, I was here before you. Well. I never knew that there was such a long-standing Korean influence going back all of those years. Because yes. I, and this was in, sorry, where did you say, Seattle? Suburbs of Seattle. Suburbs of yeah. Seattle. And yes. that must have been incredibly hard. Although I guess around that time, you say around 2000s. Yeah, circa Y2K. You're, you're getting old boy coming out around that time. You're yeah. getting the Japan, Korea, sorry, Korea, Japan, 2002 World Cup. I think mm-hmm. it's slowly mm-hmm. sort of right. coming onto the international scene. Yeah, it is. And I wasn't particularly aware of Korean cinema at that time. A few years later, I was. Mm. But just like I knew, was, I knew Korea was a, a thing. Uh, it was distinct, as I say, from China and Japan yeah. that had its own music. I was, like most in my generation, I was more into Japan at that time. Yeah. Uh, but I could sense that it was different. This wasn't just a – there's a book I like a lot, uh, an obscure travelogue uh, by one of yours, uh, an Englishman named Clive Leatherdale, To Dream of Pigs, it's called. It's okay. Olympics era. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he said, you know, I came to Korea expecting a lackluster Japan. And it wasn't like that at all. He was very impressed at the sheer difference mm. from what he'd expected. And it sort of, I had a sense early, I guess, of Korea's cultural distinctiveness. I knew there were Korean Americans uh, where I went to school, uh, a fair few sort of half Koreans as well, and uh, 
adoptees. Mm. The, I, did they have many in the UK? Uh, um, it wasn't so much in that era, maybe. I'm not sure if they were adoptees, but there were Korean people around me at university. I see, I see. Who who were studying abroad or who yeah, were studying up in abroad and, and would yeah. cook like shabu shabu and the, oh, nice. the food nice. and they would like eat this and I had no idea what it was until. Yeah, Korea was long in my mind on some level, but in high school, I couldn't have told you anything about it coherent. The, mm. yeah, it's a country in Asia and I hear that it's not that good a place to live. Like, why would people be coming here if they if Korea was good? You know, that, I had that whole idea. Uh, but it seems interesting and somewhat aggressive. Uh, and at that time, I would have said, like, I'll probably never go there, much yeah. less live. But as the years passed, I sort of backed myself into it. Uh, mm. You know, when I started studying Hangul in a way that was the switch was thrown and I would have said, like, no, no, I'm never going never gonna to live in Korea. I just want to learn to read this alphabet, which seems interesting, and here I am now. You do that thing where you're traveling around and you start decoding all the signs and the menus. Yeah. Well, and that was in Koreatown in Los Angeles. I moved yeah. there because of my interest in Korea. Oh, uh, wow. So it's so like, you... well, here's some, I can practice, I can go, you know. And early on, I would, for years, it was like this. I was studying Korean by myself, informally, and I could go to a Korean restaurant, all excited, like, I'm going to speak Korean. You study a lot by yourself, by the way, I think, I don't do, you? yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's it's. Uh, Where is the? How do you get the motivation? Because way. I like the I like the habit. I like a, a guide or an instructor. I'm a very independent, yes. free-minded That's person. Good. But sometimes we're all Westerners. Here. <laughs> yeah, but having a having a teacher has really helped me with my career. Now, oh, I do a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, yeah, okay. In those okay. days, you couldn't just go online, find a teacher, and do it on Skype. Right. Uh, you could find do like flash games that taught you Hangul, but and I didn't know any Koreans. Uh, so I was, I, I could only practice at restaurants or businesses and I'd go there and I could order in Korean just yeah. fine. And the ajima would be very amused. And then she'd reply to me. And the answer was always like, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and I just, I could not catch one word. Yeah. And I, somehow I didn't quit. I, I knew on some level, you can get it. Just keep going. Uh, I don't know where I got the faith, mm -hmm. but eventually I did. Mm -hmm. Eventually I was understanding one word out of five. And then it was four words out of five. And now it's not that common that I hear a word I don't know in conversation. A book is a different story. Yeah. That's why reading books is reading books is kind of the the bigyol. It's the it's the the secret weapon in a way. I I was part of a Korean speaking a practice group in Koreatown in Los Angeles and mm. one of the Wonomin leaders was saying, you know, you're doing pretty well, but read some you should read books. Like you should you have to read books. And so I thought, fair enough. And yeah. uh, started agonizingly reading some Dongwachek and now, I mean, reading Korean books, it's a daily, it's a daily thing for me. It's, but I live in Korea, so it should be. Like, Absolutely. I shouldn't be, I'm not saying this is like, I read Korean books, but mm -hmm. then I meet people who, expats of longstanding who say like, you've read a book in Korea? So, <laughs> well, you've never felt the obligation to read a book from the country that you live in and have lived in for decades? I mean, we both met people like this, but yeah. it's like they wouldn't consider it. Uh, for whatever reason. I'd say we've both met people like that, Colin, but I would also like to suggest that we probably haven't met many people like you. Now, I'm around academia, so it's a bit different, and I, yeah. I, I do know I people. I know nothing that, of academia. It's, it's, it's very hostile and aggressive, and as, as uh, Mark Peterson said, that's because the stakes <laughs> are so low. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I like that line from him. Um, but you're, I think you're a very rare example in the general population. I'm not calling of you general expats? in that sense, but yeah, people hear of mm. of our perhaps similar ilk that not only read Korean, but write in Korean, find a fascination for the language, have it to to that extent. And 
that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to speak to you about this mm. and, and start the conversation in that way, because mm. we could have gone right deep into some of your more um, articles that have been considered controversial. or I don't think they are, but I don't find them necessary, actually, uh, at this point. Can we talk then about Korean books yes, yes. Or, or Korean reading? What have you read or you said you started off with Manhwatek or something or Tongwatek. I mean, you. This is I've I heard this tip uh, long ago. Is read what you're interested in. Don't read Tongwatek. Like don't you don't care what the rabbit said to the fox, uh, which is true. But you got to start somewhere. And actually, you say Manhwatek. That's mm. I learned to read English, my native language, with the Sunday comics in the newspaper. I still mm -hmm. have vivid memories of mm -hmm. reading them with my dad. Yeah. Uh, but you know, any anywhere you can start. Do it's, I read a lot of books about cities uh, in any language, but uh, just because it's where one of my interests lies. Mm. And there was a, in fact, one of my earliest books in Korean was called Ele Toshi Sanchek, uh, about Los Angeles, yeah. written by a Korean who was a frequent visitor. Uh, and she became one of my earliest interviewees when I started doing podcasts in Korean. Oh, wow. But I had, I showed her this book, like her, her book that mm. I bought on a visit to Korea, took it back to Los Angeles, read it. And underlining everything I didn't know, mm. and the book just broke apart. The spine mm. was all, it's all wrecked, and almost every word is underlined. And she was so amused. She took it then and there, Instagrammed it. And she was like, <laughs> oh, this foreigner interviewed me, and he looked, he read my book, and he looked at it. It's just, tore, she, she loved how, how degraded the book had become through mm. sheer use. But yeah. I don't know, it was always like, I couldn't bear not to be able to read a book in Korean, uh, just because it seemed like the natural, the natural next step i don't i mean i i can't the idea of living in a society and not being able to read its books is not acceptable to me on any level mm. uh and mm. it's just again this comes back to when you meet expats who don't do it i'm not saying they're bad not they're not bad expats but why don't you want to it's, mm. it's like with this is another sort of hobby horse of mine and brian myers is about north korea analysts who don't speak korean mm -hmm. i see i get that you can do it Mm -hmm. But why are you not interested enough in Korea as a culture? Why why do you not have the interest enough to, to do it, to do it? Why isn't it natural to do it? Like mm -hmm. why would you not do it? Uh, or here it's you know the expats who feel marooned. I guess they don't feel an obligation, or never did. But so I keep coming back to this one question: is you know which civilization are you choosing? Right? Are you choosing are you choosing to inhabit this civilization, or are you not? Mm. And in the case of many an expat, uh, I think of them as living in. Uh, the diving bell. The diving bell can stay down a long time, mm. but they're always ready to hit that button. Okay. Something could pull them up. Okay. They're not really here, you know, on some level. They're here, but they're on, they're, a little part of them is not, mm. at least a little part. Mm. And they, they feel like they can always just take off. They're not, they, they don't cogently inhabit, again, I'll yeah. use this word, the civilization uh, yeah. as a sort of reading, writing, or even as a as a consumer of media, like I'm not the biggest fan of Korean television, yes. but if you can't understand a word of it, you don't live here. If yeah. you can't turn on the radio and know what people are talking about, you don't live here. Yeah. I would say in yeah. a in a significant way. That's um, it sounds aggressive, but it shouldn't. No, but it shouldn't because I do agree with you. Yes. And I do like the way that you use the word civilization as well. By the mm. way, you know it's uh, it's. It's it should be seen as empowering, and now I'm just wondering how to get because I, you know when when I I used translated the word 시장 into to market for you, and you said, oh, of course, everybody. 
I've I've gone to coffee shops with Korean adoptees that have come over here that don't even have that level of language. It's just yeah. because they don't they're live adoptees. here. There, there are various yeah. people, and I, I just hope perhaps that more and more people will get into the language, just knowing that it's a, uh, it can be brutally hard, but perhaps with reading, looking at what you know, what you're interested mm -hmm. in, is is so vital. I mean, because a, a little bit like you, I. I was started off with these kind of gumon uh, texts, these uh, kind of like kids things, and I was uh, like, I don't really want to learn yeah. about a snowman. You know, you're not five years old. Ultimately, I, I, linguistically, I might have been at the time, yeah, but, but you need right. that thing, and so perhaps you finding that book about L.A., a city yeah. you're very clearly Where I was passionate living about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just gives true. you those frames of reference, and you'll find a lot of people sit down and go. I'm going to start watching CNN or BBC or yeah. something like this yeah. to learn English. And I'm like, they keep it on 24 hours a day. No, 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 yeah. no, no. If you like baseball, just yeah. baseball. If you they, like this. Right. They, they aim a bit too high. This is a, something that I um, often emphasize is what if people ask, you know, what's the secret to learning Korean uh, or whatever other language I'm doing? And this is what Koreans could be asking this too. Mm. Like, what's mm. the secret to learning a language is what they're asking. Well, I don't really know. I'm not Tyler Rash. Uh, ask him. That's my first response. But, Second, in my own case, have you met him? Was he was he like or? Uh, I I don't I don't know much about okay. him in general. Okay, okay. I, I, I can't okay. speak. Have, bring him on. I mean, he's he, always coming up like as sponsored things in my yeah, social media. Yeah, for, he's big and he's doing a lot of work in ads uh, these days. Fair play to him. But uh, as a, if, ironically, ads for this is a man known in Korea for one thing above all: his excellent, excellent Korean skills. Yeah. What is he selling? English learning apps, okay? Uh, but I, I, in my case, learning languages, the key is to learn as slowly as possible mm. uh, because something inside me sensed, if I, when I was learning Korean, this is nothing like English or Spanish. This is completely different. If you hit it too hard, if you take the angle, if you take too steep an angle, yeah. you're going to burn out. Yeah. And when, when Koreans talk about learning English, they, they kind of want to learn quick, you know? Pali, pali. How do I how do I master English at a native level as fast as possible? Yeah. If you try that, you'll fail every time. Yeah. You'll never do it. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got to learn. You know, yalko mm. uh, You It's just do it. Keep it. Don't do as much as you could. Right. But do it consistently. And every sort of health, self help book about habits or whatever will say this. Mm. Yeah, consistency is more important than sheer volume of effort. And yeah, you can binge watch CNN all day long. You're not going to get anything out of it. Mm -hmm. You might get something, but it won't be as much as if you just sort of kept it, kept the pace slow, so you don't burn out. And because yeah. if you burn out on something, you put it aside, maybe for a day, maybe for thirty years, right? What I noticed is that my learning took place when I wasn't looking for it. Yeah. If you're looking for something, you're looking for those improvements. You're looking for that uh, validation or that sense of achievement, it's not there or it's very hard to find. It's when right. you're just repeatedly, continuously, um, through habit, hitting something yes. that you'll step back and some people will start coming up to you and going, wow, you've you've done yeah. this, your, yeah. your Korean has improved, you've done that, all of a sudden you're doing this. And it's true. You have to see the same thing in a variety of contexts. You know, I, yeah. would, I think you know, if I have to see a word in a hundred different contexts before I feel like I can use it, yeah, and Korean has so many abstract nouns yeah. that could be applied very widely, but not to every area you think. So, and again, that's one characteristic as well of the language is just the sheer number of the abstractness of so much of it. Uh, and it's English is not quite like that, unless you're in academia, in which case abstraction is the way of the world, the coin of the realm. 
you said this wonderful thing just while we're on language that I, I underlined in one of your articles, and it was about the thrill of moving from what you know in a language to what you don't know. And yes. when I read that, I stopped. I was like, yes, because in the beginning, you're just scanning along sentences or menus and you're picking out, I know this, I know this, yes, I know yes, this. Yes. You might not be able to form um, a coherent message or put it all together, but you're just finding what you know. And right. after a while, you get to that stage of like, I, I don't know that one. What's yeah. that one? And Why then, don't I know it? And there is a there is certain a thrill and an exploration. You go up to somebody and you go, I, I keep hearing this word, but I don't know what this word right, is. Right, right, right. Yes. That, that is a great change, I think, when you can get to that stage. And I recognize that. And I thought, I've never heard someone describe this experience that I'd been having. Ah, and, and you'd done that. It was something I was experiencing, but you'd actually put it into this sentence. I was like, oh, wow, there you go. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was one of these realizations I try to hold on to that it's it helps to really focus on like, what don't I know? What do I least know? What's the <laughs> thing I'm most ignorant of that I'm hearing now? Because it gives you a way to focus. And yeah. Then you say, like, why don't I know it? Yeah. And sometimes, I'm sure you found this, I do know it. Or in Korean, many words that you've never seen are very easy to figure out. Yeah. Because they're compounds of other words. Yeah. And Eventually. If, if, you th if you think about it for five seconds, rather than just popping up neighbor yeah. uh, English dictionary, you'll get it. And that's that's an instinct that I sometimes, it sometimes fails me, but I try mm -hmm. to develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm there with you on that. Sometimes in my in my lectures, I'll ask the question to the student whose name I don't know. Yes. I can know all the people. It's like that student, I don't know the name. And so I'll ask them specifically. And so I have yeah. that habit of addressing those things that I'm not always comfortable with. That's hard. I wouldn't, I, I don't know how to memorize a room full of people's names in any country. I'm, I'm still pretty good at it. I wondered if it might sort of fail me as I got, but I just finished a uh, a two-week intensive with 50 students from Singapore, and I had them all by the end of the first week. And well even though the names well are coming from different cultures, and yes, they're yes, not always mixture. easy. That's Singapore for you. Uh, um, uh, but, you know, the, the people from Singapore, it was so fascinating to hear them that um, a lot of them had great sympathy for North Korea. Ah, and they looked in South Korea and it's kind of like, you're not quite doing it right, South Korea. Do you see what I mean? Right. They they had yes. a sense of superiority to right. South Korea, right. the people from Singapore. And I thought that was kind of fascinating to see. They, I was showing mm. them some vlogs of North Korea right. with, um, I've forgotten her name, I think it's Songa or Sua, the young girl who speaks like Harry Potter or Peppa Pig, and she does vlogs at the Minsu Water Park. Oh, my. Um, I haven't seen anything like this. It, it's fascinating, but when I showed it to... It's fascinating because you can see how North Koreans want to put lo-fi soundtracks onto vlogs and mm. present it to the world right. in a soft power way. Right, right, I, right. I want to see how they do that. All the Singapore students are going, that looks exactly like Singapore. The architecture was the same. Like the layout was yes. the same. And, they, right, and afterwards, right. they were like... I, I give my lectures on Singapore, uh, on North Korea, sure. generally straight down the middle each time and let the students come to their own conclusions. And for the most part, there's kind of a lot of, yeah, those guys are pretty bad. They should, uh, right. you know, but I try to give it down the middle. Yeah. Most of the Singapore students were like, they picked up on the narrative that I do provide of they're fighting imperialism and that people are sleeping on North Korea and we need to respect them a little bit ah, more. From Singaporeans of all people. Interesting. I. North Korea, I was so fascinated by in college, up to that point. Like, up to college, I just was thrilled to see any picture I could of life in Pyongyang. Living here, I just 
don't care anymore. It's the less boring career. It's the it's the more boring it's career. It's the more Sorry. boring career. Sorry, yeah. yeah, this is the interesting career. But yes. to bring up one one more Brian Myers point, I saw him give a talk at the Royal Asiatic Society a few years ago. He I started, was there. Okay, so you saw when he put up the first slide, it uh, he had the words North Korea studies, mm. and then he crossed out North, mm. meaning uh, that you can't consider one without the other. Mm. They're you know they they haven't been separated that long, and in some ways they haven't become that different. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I feel it is to my detriment that I don't know that much about North Korea anymore. Or mm. it's to my detriment that I don't care that much. Mm. Uh, I don't seek out North Korea material uh, because so much of it is, in English, it's a lot of it is from the perspective of North Korea as an international actor mm. or as an enemy of the United States. Yeah. That's why many analysts care about it at all. That's why they, I mean, that's, to quote, B.R. Myers, that it's a French foreign legion of the international commentariat. When you've got nowhere else to go, you go to North Korea, uh, the North Korea well, circuit. Uh, but it's, I, I feel my suffering of this, my suffering, my understanding of the South suffers, mm. perhaps, from not knowing as much as I could about the North. Mm. But I don't know exactly how to remedy that because it's just, yeah, it's, it seems deadly dull, <laughs> the North. I don't know. I'm sure it's a, if you're, if you're a North Korean, you have, People forget. I mean, there's what thirty million people there. Twenty five. Twenty five. It's it is. They have a they have society. They have people who. Not everybody is constantly cowering under a specific political threat. I mean, they they're living lives. They have uh, dentists and they and write dreams books. and heartaches yeah. and they yeah. do. And you know, it's uh, it's uh, they go to the Myers point that even a bus driver in Pyongyang feels like he is part of something, yeah. part of a mission. Yeah. On a South Korean bus driver's very best day. <laughs> What does he feel like he's part of? I mean, that's it's a question worth asking, yeah. right? And you know, in the yeah. U.S., a bus driver is probably seething with rage because they're not a celebrity. Mm. We see them that way anyway, mm. you know. But uh, it, it's a lot of societies end up failing to give their people a reason to live. Mm. And in the U.S., the attitudes like, "Go find your own. Come on, what do you? What, uh, you can you can make up your own reason to live, can't you? You know, mm. you can be completely atomized. Okay, go 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 forth." Uh, I don't know if that's a healthy way of looking at things necessarily. Just in case uh, this ever gets to uh, Mr. or Professor Dr. B.R. Myers, because you've mentioned his name so many times, I do need to say that whenever I've emailed him for Mm -hmm. advice and assistance, he's replied instantly. Oh, yes. Uh, And so graciously with his time, so generous. And this is a person who, if you say something contrary to him online or something like this, there'll mm. be blog posts coming out. Yeah, and yeah. he can seem a quite frightening chap, I guess, not just yeah. in the way he presents himself, but in some of his... Somewhat severe. Rhetoric. In his public and uh, his, persona. Yeah, and yeah. his blog is fantastic. Oh, yeah, I, I'm a religious reader of it, and I don't read many blogs. No, and I, I don't even know what it means. I've often had a conversation with this. Uh, the meaning of his blog? The meaning of the name of his blog. Oh, Steel? The, the steel? steel the, 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 like the, the t- stone tablet? Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I, I always looked at it as something like Shettle Press or something like that. I don't know the exact pronunciation, but it's no. an, an old stone tablet, I thought. I I don't know. That uh, would make much Isn't there? Aren't there sense. Buddhist texts written on them? That would make... Now I'm seeing it. I, I was just probably seeing it all wrong. Now yeah. we suddenly... You know when words an are odd name put together in a, yeah. in, a, in a dress, but yeah. always so very gracious with his time. And uh, right. his, his blogs on South Korean politics are fascinating because he says yeah. things that nobody else will say. Yeah, and you can only get it there. It's, he says... This is, again, something else I say that makes people mad, but he, 
He speaks and reads Korean. He, he reads North Korean publications. And if you say you expect someone to do that when they're a North Korea analyst, uh, people will act like you're talking nonsense. But you know, it's like with the journalists, the journalists in South Korea. Like, if you were a journalist in Argentina and you couldn't speak Spanish, it's a poor show, isn't it? Yes. But here, it's somehow accepted. Like, and I've heard rationalizations like, oh, I've come to run the bureau and we have reporters and we have source, we have English speaking sources and translators. So it's all mm. the infrastructure is there. But why are you running the bureau if you have no interest in Korea, no experience here? Mm. Why, why did you want to run it? Mm. Why did they send you? And then you get it's in some way the dirty secret of at least English language journalism in, in Korea. I mean, and I don't think people know it, Americans reading the newspaper that they're reading it's like the article you're reading was written by an illiterate. This man can't read. <laughs> Do you understand? Because <laughs> I think they assume that somebody reporting in North, in, in reporting yeah. about either Korea, yeah. Yeah. at least, is competent in the language. But it's and you people just like throw a fit when you point it out. But I think you know it's again you've you've been privy to these expat conversations. If you strike at the heart of something, people get angry, yeah. uh, and so yeah. you're probably hitting on something true. If people get mad, uh, you know. I would say that um, the British ambassador, Colin Crooks, he's one of the very yeah. few here that will speak Korean. I'm not sure if you've yeah. heard him speak Korean, but he I, speaks. I've heard of him. I haven't heard him, but uh, I'm glad to hear it. speaks Korean excellently. He, he made a point because I, I, I told him about it. I said, I think it's fantastic that while you're here, you're not only doing the things that you're doing and the messages, but you're doing it in mm. not just Korean, right. but very well-spoken Korean. Yeah. And he, he said to me, I think I'm going to tell you. He said, you know, I'm one of the very few that does it. Well, sort of yeah. the Chinese and yeah. the Russian, but from that community, mm. he's one of the very few. And and that's because he, I mean, he was in Pyongyang for four or five years, the ambassador yeah. there. And you've got to speak There's it the there, experience. I guess. Well, it's just, I, I know it's common practice to send ambassadors, at least the U.S., to send ambassadors who don't speak a word of the language of the country they're going to. But why? Why don't you send someone who speaks the language? You could say, well, we don't want... We don't want another Reichauer who who is who should be paid should have been paid half by the Japanese government. Like we want an outs we want somebody who's not tied to the mm. host country. Mm. But I, I come back again and again to this theme. Like, is speaking a language too much to ask? No. For no, many Americans, not. it is too much to ask. No, I agree. I, I would suggest perhaps standards are changing now. Do you? Mm. I mean, we're definitely not in the 1980s or 1990s anymore. Right. I, I think there's more onus now on people coming to Korea to have a better grasp of the language. I, yes. I, I think we're getting there. It might not right. always be with people for the BBC or something like that or these right. operations, but I, I think there is slowly change. And I maybe mm -hmm. if this conversation does anything, Colin, it will uh, will push people towards that. I'll tell you a story that is that backs up what you're saying, uh, that, that uh, symbolizes the shift in a way yeah. or symbolizes where we've come from and where we're going to. Yeah. Uh, I was at a party years ago for uh, TBS EFM, where, the, where you've contributed shows as well, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed. The English language radio station in Korea. And uh, I was just, we were all gathered, and I, I was doing an urbanism segment at that time. That's why I was there. And I met a big star in the English language radio world, a Westerner. A, a big star in English language Korean radio is a bit of a contradiction in terms, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We, were just, we were chatting and you knew you exchanged stories about why you're here. Mm. And I said, well, you know, I was in the U.S. and I studied Korean for seven or so years and then came here. And this guy stops the party, gets everybody's attention. Like, hey, hey, th this guy studied Korean before he came here. And I was like, I was thinking, does this happen in China? 
Like, do you get it just because I'd studied it before I came here? That was reason enough. It was like a freak show. Like he studied Korean before he came to Korea. Like mm. it was unthinkable. Mm. Uh, that might not happen much longer. Those type of reactions. So, yeah. No, and even even speaking to you in this sense, I, I'm getting. Uh, you know, I'm determined to go and read more Korean books. I, I've got my Korean books I need to read wow. this year and keep up with it. But yes. I, I think you are. You are the change you want to see in the world, and at least yeah. you're 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 walking the walk while you talk it. I think that's very important because it's it, it's easy to have things to say and opinions to get, but one needs to be informed and one needs to be educated as well as just compassionate, as well as just opinionated. And you seem to be focused not only on what you say, but putting yourself in the best possible position to walk I'm through trying. the markets to speak to the people. It's it's what's interesting, right? And it, it's to me, it's I'm just doing what's I'm just doing what's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and as you are as well, I, I assume that's where you track toward naturally. I don't work a day in my life. I, I, I'm do. just playing. Well, I do work. I, I of course I do things. But um, can we now we've laid all of that groundwork? Talk yes. about that article uh, for Unheard, oh, I believe it was. Yeah, though I've only done one for them. Yeah, they. Uh, What's well, one of the least interesting things I've written about Korea? But go on. I, I know, and but I, it, because I want to, because that might be the thing that some people immediately associate you with, and so now we've we did do well. Of what I was told. Yeah, but it also received a lot of backlash, and I believe I believe I sent you a message after that, and yeah, because I, I saw they, there I, was a lot going. Well, on. that was your message was one of the only uh, responses I did see. I actually haven't seen any public uh, responses to that article. Okay. I know I know it got around. Yeah. Uh, but whenever I see my notifications going up too fast, <laughs> I just don't check them for a couple of days. Yeah, okay. And then it's over. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I've been told by you and others, a lot of people were angry about it. Mm. But I didn't see any of it. So, in a way, it doesn't exist. Every, I'll tell you this. Mm. Every direct piece of feedback, mm. positive. Yeah. And there are these, mm. there are such pieces. And that, that piece was a little too short. I mean, as I said, I... It was written to order for that site. They mm -hmm. got in touch with me, and it wasn't. It wasn't a matter. It wasn't a subject of great interest. To it wasn't me. something you had to get out. No, was... no, not at all. They just said you want to do this, so I did. Yeah. Uh, and I read unheard. It's of the sort of conservative, contrarian sites that have popped up. It's the best, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not allergic to that stuff at all. Uh, I, I didn't. Uh, unheard is a conservative, contrarian site. Oh, I. I th the figure so who I started it in the UK was a uh, was a big was a sort of a big Tory. Okay. Uh, and it has that tone. I, I'm not saying every piece is mm. is ultra right wing or something, but mm. it's a that's the general slant of it. Okay. Uh, and but they publish. I mean, they publish uh, Michelle Welbeck. They publish uh, who else has written for them? Uh, they publish Jeff Dyer. They published uh, Douglas Copeland. If it's good enough for these guys, it's good enough for me. I like Michelle Welbeck. Yes, <laughs> he's been on more than once. He's been on her. Okay. And uh, so I was like, great, I'll write for that site. Mm. Um, and they said, you want to write, write about Hallyu? Because at the VNA, there's a show on Hallyu. Yeah. I think it might be over now. We're still going on, maybe. But uh, so I said, okay, okay, and uh, turned in a draft. And I, I liked the draft. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I got the edit back. And well, you write for publications, too. Yeah. So sometimes you'll get an edit back, and it won't look that much like what you sent in. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, well, can I live with this, or can I not? And I decided that I could, mm -hmm. because it was cut way down. And missing some parts I liked, yes. and which is it often happens, uh, especially with sites where I don't write much. Or this was the first time with Unheard, yeah. you know, you don't know their methods, and so you know, I think, well, okay. And I 
sort of did what I could with the edit, and then they did another edit, and it went up. So I was like, well, that's this pretty good, I guess. Uh, the uh, the editor was concerned that I she she really wanted me to use the phrase cultural appropriation, so I worked that in. Okay, uh, that was not a factor initially, but I could sense. Oh, I I can sense what she wants, which is oh okay. That this is this has to be. I knew who I was writing for. Yeah, uh, audience wise at that point, and uh, I, th- I thought it was okay. It was not long enough to really get interesting. Mm-hmm. You get this sort of sort of fifteen hundred word. You can't say anything in fifteen hundred words. Mm. Uh, I can't. Anyway. What, what's an ideal essay? Because a lot of the ones you do post, not even just your mm. own, but ones that you do post, are much longer. Yeah, I would say two thousand is where I get started. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's minimum there. Yeah, yeah. there. I should. I shouldn't generalize because there are people who, in five hundred words, can write something very incisive. I can't do that. Uh, Blaise Pascal said, forgive me that the letter yes. I've written you today is so long yeah. that I did not have the time to make it shorter. I didn't have the time to make it I like that quote. I, I, it comes back one. to mind uh, every so often. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, wish, I wish I had the time to go shorter sometimes. I'd be more successful. But uh, the, the, the piece was okay, I thought. Uh, but then it came out, as you know, we don't write the headlines. Writers don't write headlines. That might not be well known. But if you write I do, a piece, I do for all mine in the Korea Times. I guess okay, so. well, other than it's you, it's different. Yeah. Uh, I have almost never written a headline for a major publication. It's... Someone else does it, uh, and the headline they gave it was, "Is it uh, South Korea is stealing from the West?" Something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I understood though. It's people click on that. Yeah, uh, and it would not be wrong to call that a clickbait. Mm-hmm. Uh, headline. I'm not averse to the occasional clickbait headline. That I do not feel that was part of my piece. Right. At the same time, I I don't think South Korea is stealing from the West. Nor did I say it in right. that piece. But yes. out it comes. And I th- I suspect again, having not seen any of the feedback, people are mostly responding to the headline. Yeah. Uh, On social I, media, never. No, no. You, you want to read the article first? Of course I do. <laughs> Uh, I, Twitter asked me that when I wrote the article myself. Too. I, re- I retweet my own stuff, and it's like, you want to read it? It's like, uh, you, you've got a long way to go, Twitter, before you really get ready for prime time. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess I, I would guess people got mad about the headline, mm. but it's not wasn't my wasn't under my control. Uh, but friends, some friends brought up objections to that piece, but I realized when they laid them out, they were responding to something I didn't say. Mm-hmm. So you can't control how you're received and what people think you're saying when it's not on the page. As right. you know, you're a public writer as well. Yeah. I'm sure you've had the experience when someone asks you like, what was all this about? Why did you Why did you write? They'll, they'll give you an argument and you didn't make the argument. Show me. I don't see yeah, it. I yeah, I don't see it. And I don't want to blame the editorial process here uh, too much, but editors in many publications want to they want to give you an argument. If you don't have enough of an argument, mm-hmm. they want to make sure you do have one. Mm-hmm. And I don't write arguments. That's why I like writing for the New Yorker because they don't care about you having an argument. What do you write instead? Then is it just a? I would just say essays. I, yeah. you know, I start with a sentence and it goes from there. That mm-hmm. dictates everything else. Mm-hmm. And so when an editor cuts out the beginning, mm-hmm. it's especially disappointing because the, you don't see where it came from. And in the case of this piece, the unheard one, mm-hmm. I was pleased with the opening. Because it was just after Chuseok, and I was at my uh, girlfriend's uncle's house with some of her relatives, everyone Korean but me there. Yeah. And they were watching the news announcing uh, Lee Jong-jae being uh, yep. cast in the, the Disney Star Wars show. Yep. And the Koreans around me, many of them were like, 
I don't know, an Asian in Star Wars? <laughs> it's just not going to work. You know, they, they themselves didn't like the idea. So I started with that, yeah. the idea of Koreans themselves kind of sneering at uh, a foreign property like Disney taking, uh, appropriating uh, an actor like uh, Lee Jong-jae. Yeah. Uh, and so it went from there, but I don't have any views on cultural appropriation. I, I don't think it's cultural misappropriation. I actually like it. I mean, if you get down to it, I like cultural appropriation, but apparently it was not so read that Koreans, way. Koreans generally. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, you can mix it. You can go too far with this. Like you, yeah, there, there, are yes. all the, there are all these videos. I saw one from, was it some UK airline where a comedian was going on about all these quintessentially British things. Oh, tea? That's not British. It actually comes from India. You know, mm. Taking all these things. Like, I think what, A, why do this? And B, I'm so glad Korea would never do this. You know, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have Korean air making a video saying like kimchi, not Korean. No, no, taekwondo, not Korean, which you is kind of not Korean. But <laughs> yeah, they would never do that. They would never yeah. revel in saying nothing really belongs to us. You know, there's nothing Korean. And I, I wonder why the self-flagellating, not just England, but I think Norway made a similar video. Like Norwegian things, they don't exist. They all came from somewhere else. Like who is served by these like, I don't understand why make that argument. I, yeah. We all know things come from places. Yeah. Uh, what are we What are we doing here? That's what I always wonder when I see this line of ar argument made. From what I saw, a lot of, and it's interesting to know that the, the argument was being put onto you or those words there. I like this idea that you start with the first sentence. I, I, if I remember, I want to ask you about um, some of your favorite first sentences, oh either yours or or otherwise um there was this one so the, the cultural appropriation element of it i mean that's what i did notice about that piece was the most anger directed towards at you was from non-koreans it was everybody else perhaps maybe mm. some of these people that don't speak korean were mm. the ones going at it um but there was something that really interested me in that that piece for unheard which was that you were putting your finger on the fact, and we've already covered this a little bit, but that was what I took from this piece, that the West loves horror stories about Korea. The West do, loves yeah. these dystopian stories. The West wants this kind of, um, this country where things aren't going quite right. And I believe, and <laughs> I might get it wrong now because it's, but it makes the West feel better about the West. At least yeah, we don't live there. Yeah. We, we might have right. bad stuff going on, but at least, hey, at least that's not us because mm -hmm. there's enough proximity, but also enough distance for it to make people feel better about themselves. And right. rather than a cultural appropriation, that was the argument that I thought was most interesting there. And it made me think, why is that? Because the career that I see live experience and walk through is not, gender conflicts erupting in my classroom and yes. lectures. I teach gender and society. I teach feminism and things right. like this. And the students are pretty young and intelligent and right. th they get along with it. But that's not the perspective that the West wants to see, I think. It's not. And this happened with Japan, too, is, you know, the, the, the West or the U.S. got wind that, oh, look at how, look at Tokyo is gleaming and it's, it's, it's like this futuristic metropolis and the trains all run on time and everything's convenient. There are vending machines outside and no one's just smashing them. How can that, how can you have a vending machine that isn't just beaten up uh, by, by vandals? You know, mm -hmm. we take this for granted that this is going to happen. What do you mean? No one's begging you for money. Uh, you're not getting robbed. How can you, how can they have this? How can Japan have this? Well, there must be some countervailing, a countervailing, uh, not just anime, like 
this must be, they must be miserable. There like, must be something they, bad. They must be being them. held down and forced to make this city work. Uh, Japanese society must work so well because everybody is miserable. Mm. And yes, there are many miserable Japanese people. Uh, there are many miserable Americans too. I mean, it's, uh, there's a puritanical strain of thought. Like if something good exists, mm. something bad is making that exist. Mm. Uh, they, it, it's been applied to Korea as well. Like, oh, Korea's so developed, it's becoming uh, one of the richest countries in the world. It's, uh, look, at the, look at the celebrities they produce, look at how glamorous it seems. People must be miserable. It, it must be hell. It must be hell, Joseon. And then, you know, that, that word has got some currency in English now as well. Mm. Like, it's, if something, if, if it's good, it must be bad underneath. Uh, but at the same time, like, in the U.S., like, why, why are people turning in such great numbers to drugs that just put them into oblivion? Mm. Like, why do they, why do people want to numb themselves and, like, shut out all consciousness? I think people say, like, in Korea, there's no drug problem to speak of because of the laws against drugs. Fair point, but I don't know if Koreans are inclined to just. Are they going to become a nation of opiate addicts? Is there? Is there? Do they have a reason to? Mm. Right. I don't think it's just because of the availability in the U.S. Like it's addressing a real like. They feel uh, people don't feel like they're part of anything in the U.S. Mm. Uh, and at a certain point, you just got to shut off your consciousness, and you'll do it any way you can. Like mm. I just don't want to face it. Mm. I think that's part of it. Uh, there are other factors as well, of course, but I suspect here people still feel like, you know, there's I'm part of something and there's work to be done, and I might not be I might be miserable because I'm not where I want to be, mm. and I might that I doesn't feel like it's my fault maybe, but and I you know I might I might well kill myself. Suicide is is a big problem here, but. In the U.S., a lot of people are in, in living death in a way. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you've got to compare like to like, I realize. It's a sobering thought to consider that whether Korea or not, there would be cultures, civilizations, places in the world that don't need drugs. That right. would say, well, I, I don't mean to be that puritanical and say <laughs> no drugs because I'm, I'm not a saint or a monk by any stretch of yes, the imagination. No, right. But um, whether they be cups or otherwise, but it, it is provocative. I've never considered the fact that South Korea might not need uh, these various things. Of course, there are. there is a growing, it's not a drug-free country anymore, mm. but according to the reports, and there is a growing seeming prevalence of um, dechidong pills, like Adderall mm. and Ritalin to get yes. the kids through the Sunung tests. The but I don't think it's any way comparable to, to what we're seeing elsewhere. Yeah, it's, I, you know, you're amazed, at least I was amazed last I was in the US a few months ago, the number of people you encounter in public life who are obviously on drugs, even if they're just working behind the counter, you can tell they, it's the big thing now is to take like a handful of Xanax, mm -hmm. just, just cram it into your mouth. And, you know, you're in this state of like, you're in a state of working oblivion in a way, like you can still mm -hmm. function, but mm -hmm. you're just, but you're barred out, they say. Uh, and it's it's fascinating because I don't see that I don't even encounter that many drunks anymore in Korea. No, it's it, it's a it's a meme that the the people are falling asleep in the subways and and things like that. But it's not a common sight as, as once it was. And I take it for granted, and maybe I'm getting my perspectives wrong here. But there's a growing number, especially on university campuses and around the universities, of unmanned convenience stores oh my god yeah an american photographer visited recently and i showed him that he couldn't believe it he was like there's got to be someone in here there's no way the store is unmanned but there are this is a worldly guy too he wasn't a provincial american he'd been all around mm. 
in his world travels, he comes to Korea, sees a, there's these muingage. Mm. It's like, this can't be. This mm. can't be. But it is. And I, I think there was one part of me that sort of started going, no, this is bad for the economy. This is just taking away people's livelihoods. There's and people do want to work. And when I go through the... Uh, high pass or the, the toll gates on the expressway or the Pyeongchang, I want to I say hello or say something. Mm-hmm. I don't want everything to be, in Korea, I hate this word, untacked. Untacked. <laughs> Another one of these, uh, the Konglish. It's, they, it, uh, but there is a yeah. move towards that. And there are, I wonder how many countries in the world where you could have this. And it's not, mm. and why you can have it in Korea. Because right. it's not as if they're all sort of, you know, under the yoke of oppression or something like right. that. Or they're they too oppressed no to steal. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's not that, but they're just, you know, we started off by saying we feel safe in Korea. Korea also feels safe enough to have unmanned convenience stores. And does, that's a beautiful does. thing. People point to the CCTVs as one factor, which is not to be ruled out. But at the same time, you know, this conversation always erupts online whenever somebody usually a Western pundit writes about Korea being a high trust society. Mm. And some up, sometimes there are Koreans who will say, no, 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 this is a, no one trusts each other. This is a low trust society, <laughs> which is also believable. Yeah. Uh, but, you, you know, to an American, Korea works very well. Seoul works very well, mm. is very orderly. To a Korean, it does not work that well. Uh, but if you really compare like to like, you can see things function here in a way they don't in mm. U.S. cities. But it's not because Koreans are so good to each other. It's not because they like each other. And it's not because they have that much fellow feeling, I think. Mm-hmm. But I did I did talk to a Korean friend back in Los Angeles uh, who said he was much more comfortable riding the subway in Seoul because, as he said, I know the person next to me is like me, mm-hmm. which is not an expectation I would ever even have myself anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't expect the person next to me to be like me for any reason. Uh, or like when, you, when a Korean lives in Japan or spends a while there and comes back, they always say the same thing. It's that they can't, they can't tell the, the sogmaum. Like, they, I don't know their sogmaum, their, mm. their innermost heart. Mm. Whereas to me, I don't know anyone's sogmaum. I would never expect to know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. But the expectation is different uh, somehow. And, you know, it's, it's uh, I wouldn't want to paint too rosy a picture of Korea, but to a first-time visitor, everything does seem... It seems more utopian than dystopian. And they've often been primed by media, not necessarily unwarrantedly, to see a dystopia. Yeah. You know, I ask people who visit for the first time because I always want to know. And this is sometimes the first impressions are the most telling. So yeah. I love talking to people who are new visitors yeah. for the first time. Yeah. And uh, I'll say, what, you know, what impressions did you have of Korea coming in? Mm. Usually the answer is I didn't have any. This in the era of Hallyu. Like, <laughs> supposedly K-drama everywhere. K-pop everywhere, K-movies everywhere, K-everything. Most Americans don't know anything about Korea. They have no impressions of Korea, no cogent impressions. So they come and, but if they did have an impression, it's usually like, oh, I thought it was a hellhole. Uh, You know, maybe MASH was the last thing they saw. Or they knew like, oh, I know there's a lot of suicide and people are drunk and angry and everything's run by mega corporations and uh, people are are filled with this Han that I've read about. Mm. Uh, And so they expect, they expect a dystopia and the Western media is all too eager to give them that. But you, go, you don't get clicks by saying a place is good. You just don't. Mm. You, know? you don't get – I was reading an article about news, news in general, you know, yeah. the form of media that is news. News is what upsets us. Yeah. You, people complain like, I turn on the news, everything's upsetting. Well, that's because that's what you want. That's, what you want. that's why you watch the news. Mm. You watch it to be upset. Mm. And if you really pay attention to your reactions, you can feel it. Like I'm, 
you're tuned in both literally and sort of psychologically when it's upsetting. Mm-hmm. And the people who run media operations know that. Yes, they, or they do. They find their way to that. Yes, they do. You know, nobody wants to read about unmanned convenience stores in <laughs> Korea. Because like, what's what's it's a novelty, but it's not a story. It's a story if a record number of students kill themselves after failing the sunung. There's a story. If it bleeds, it leads. But something something good or ambiguous, I would say muin kage or more. It's harder to say if that's good or bad. Their, their products are no good generally. But uh, it's an interesting, you know, I could write 5,000 words on those, but it wouldn't be a news story. Right. It wouldn't be an argument. Mm. It would just be an essay. Unless there was some mystical concept behind it or there was something Yeah, this to is the it, Korean only emotion that allows us to run Muin Kage. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Please understand. This is yeah. just for us. Yeah. Th- yes. And then it would be that. We... Your perspectives remain fascinating as we approach the end of our, our, our time in this little studio. So I, I need to get to some of these yes, questions. Please do. Favorite first lines? Oh well, when you say that, I, it, I, don't, I don't have like a library in my mind. No, I know, but just what, what does some anything come to you? It might be one that you've yeah. written or that you are writing, or somebody else wrote, or. Because when you said, because this is what I do, I yeah. sometimes, by the way, I, I write my columns in my head or right. that's that's how I do it when I'm driving in a meditative state. I am concentrating on the road, I promise. Um, but I will often construct them in my mind before getting there. But you said you start with a line and that's, and that's how it comes. You start with a line, that's how it comes. The first thing that came to mind, memorable first lines, which was an interesting exercise, actually, yeah. was... Uh, Donald Ritchie's book on, on Ozu, on Yasujiro, Ozu Yasujiro, the filmmaker, mm. he said, uh, Ozu Yasujiro, the most Japanese of all Japanese filmmakers, had one, uh, had one great subject, the Japanese family, and one great theme, its dissolution. That's, there's Ozu for you right there. And it's also a line that gets you in trouble now. I quoted it. 10 years ago. Like, what do you mean the most Japanese of Japanese filmmakers? What do you, what do you mean? What do you, what does that mean? What's a, Jap, what, what's, what's a Japanese, I don't know. What's a Japanese person? What's a Japanese filmmaker? I have a friend here, an American guy who's, I think he's just messing with me. Yeah. He might not be, but he seems very earnest when he says, you know, there are no countries. There are no cultures. There's no, no America, no Korea, no England. It doesn't exist. It's all fake. He thinks there's no such thing as culture. Mm. Yet his life itself as an expat here in Korea belies that somewhat. Mm. I also like, uh, this is apropos nothing we've talked about, but there's a, a weight, tra- I, I'm into uh, weightlifting. There's a guide uh, called Starting Strength by mm-hmm. Mark Ripito. And his first line is, physical strength is the most important thing in life, period. Then he goes on to say, there are some who wish it would be otherwise, but it's not. Um, a, a weak man is not as happy as that same man would be if he were strong. And he elaborates, but physical strength is the most important thing in life, period. And I think he believes it. Wow. And it's borne out by the content of the book. You know, you have to, the, the book has to support the line, but it's got to come, it's got to flow from that line. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have a favorite opening line? Not any that are going to uh, match yours right <laughs> now. I, I, now you've, I didn't imagine that you would be a weightlifter. Yeah, it's, it's, I haven't got quite the results I've hoped for in 25 years of doing it, but it's psychologically very important to me. Have you, no, that's important. Have you read the book Born to Run or have you heard of it? I started running a while back. Mm, I, I've, I've moved to other of forms of exercise, but it's a book about so much more than running. Yes, it's, yes, it's yes. about it's about that psychological battle. It's about adventure. It's just a fascinating, Testing fascinating read, that yeah. one. Um, 
were I, I want to turn to these last two questions now, and one of them is this question that I really like, which would be if you were giving advice to eighteen-year-old right. yourself, right. or to young people, or or people trying to do something, trying to get into a university, trying to get into a major, trying to find a job, what advice do you think in twenty twenty-three people、um, need to hear today? So, advice to someone. Not to myself necessarily, but to a young person today. To, to a young person today, or if you were eighteen today, I, but I want to make it relevant to、yes. the, the, this environment that we live in. Right, right, right. I suppose what what is what would be a timeless piece of advice to give、uh, to someone in that situation? I th- I think one yes, this is what I'll say,、uh, and I've said it in many different contexts to、mm. many different people.、Uh, I was talking to.、Uh, Well, I, I don't think she'll be mad if I if I mention this. I was talking to my girlfriend about this once. Who she used to work at a Hagwon company,、mm-hmm. a big Hagwon company, one of one of the majors. You probably、okay. know even if I say it's an English language Hagwon, you know what I mean.、Uh, but she quit that to become a translator.、Mm-hmm. A very admirable move, I would say,、uh, and has been successful in doing that. But I think there have been moments, or there were moments, where you know her her old boss would call her and say like. We we need you back.、Yeah. We're going to pay you well.、Mm. Uh, we won't send you out to Vietnam again like last time to open branches.、Uh, you know, come back. We'll pay you, and if it would it would be much more money than she was making then or is making now、yes. as a translator, a literary translator,、uh, but of many things as well. And what I it's not like I felt qualified to advise her, but what I did say was, hey, you you quit that job for a reason. And it was probably a good reason. If you were, if that job was so good, why'd you quit it to translate? But also, what I what I want to get at with the advice to young people is, what I said was this: if you go back, go back. Don't translate. Never translate another word. Essentially, if you're going to run a hagwon,、mm-hmm. if you're going to work for this hagwon company, do it. Give it everything. If you're going to translate, give that everything. Do not pretend that you're going to do one thing. And then do another. I mean, to my mind, this could just be my psychology, but the 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 fallback does not work.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I think David Mamet said something about this. Like, you know, if you, if you have a fallback, you're going to fall back on it.、Uh, you didn't want to do the first thing. You, you, you didn't want to do the real thing. You know, if you want to become an actor and your fallback is to become an accountant,、mm. that means you want to become an accountant.、Right. You do not want to become an actor. Those of us who do not have a choice number two because it makes no sense to have a choice number two, we see the world differently. And it's like, yes, it's it's. Sometimes my mom says to me, "I should become a teacher." I'm not looking for a new career, but she does often say this. For a、mm. while, it was the foreign service. She said I should、mm. join, but、uh, she—it's not a bad thing to be a teacher, as you'll agree.、Mm. It's in fact an honorable thing to be if done well. Anything, anything Very is.、Yeah. You know, I'll tell—I tell the 18-year-old this too. Everything is honorable if you do it well.、Mm. Nothing is honorable if you do it poorly,、mm. or if it's your side job, or if you're not taking it seriously. But I say every time, yes. If I become a teacher, it's not my intention. But if I become a teacher, I will do that.、Uh, that's that is what I will be. I won't just do it. I will be that. Yeah.、Uh, but I'm not a teacher.、Uh, and you know, it's it would be the world doesn't need another half-assed teacher.、Uh, and <laughs> it's though if it's like you, how to put it? What would to encapsulate it to an 18-year-old? Don't pretend. Don't pretend you're doing one thing when you're doing another.、Mm-hmm. Pick、yeah. the pursuit and do it. And in the words of Andrei Tarkovsky, filmmaker I like very much,、uh, you know, sacrifice yourself for cinema. Sacrifice yourself for what it is you're doing. Because、mm. if you do not sacrifice yourself for it, 
you're not doing it. Uh, I have a, a favorite aphorist of mine, Aaron Haspel, who's quite active on Twitter. He's a Twitter aphorist, mm -hmm. which is the medium for aphorism. I think. Yeah. He had a, an aphorism recently about how uh, you know, service, true service requires a complete obliteration of your own personality and desires uh, for those of another. And you can't buy that in America at any price because it's against the natural. It's against the national religion. You can't buy true service there, and you know you ha you have to serve. As Bob Dylan sang, "You got to serve somebody, yeah. or got to serve something, shall we say?" And uh, you know, don't don't say, "I'm, I'm, I'm going to work this office job, and maybe I'll make it as a, as a writer," because that's you know, do the office job fully. I respect more. I yes. respect more the bureaucrat who who is just dedicated to his job mm. than the bureaucrat who writes a little on the side. I don't respect that at all. Mm. Even though there have been writers who have had day jobs, and I know, I know, I know. It's very zen, isn't it? That's the impression that I get of it, that when you when you eat, you eat, when you sleep, right. when you sleep. But you, uh, you engage with the act in such a way that it becomes everything. And... Uh, You'll, you'll know this, but am I misunderstanding it? Isn't there a Japanese concept like when even mm. doing work becomes art, even ah. shaping something? Maybe I'm, I'm getting all to into this no, hand no, no, they, type thing. But there is something that about. even working on something, it might be, you know, somebody working bureaucracy or an office job or something, but you do it to such an extent that it becomes aesthetic. It becomes art. It becomes yes. something that you give yourself to selflessly and I believe yeah if you do that then you're always going to have purpose and you always have some meaning it might not be grandiose in the eyes of others but you know what do what do other people's eyes really matter well as long as you invest yourself into it it's uh, you know there's there's not it, this is a sort of if you put it in the Korean frame there's a lot of people sort of running at the same targets yeah and they could devote themselves to other things. It's like, I make this point, I, I did an essay in Korean about English a long time ago that got a lot of traction. Mm. I was saying, not everybody, if they think about it, needs to learn English. If you have another interest, you're better off pursuing that. The world doesn't need someone who was distracted from what they do, whether it be sort of cooking or building robots or whatever it may be, yeah. because they had to spend time cramming, going to English hagwon. Mm. Or so, a specific, if, they, if they love English, but I say, if you love English, sacrifice yourself to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not anti-learning English. I'm anti, like, kind of learning it so you can do a test, and then you're, the rest of your life is totally unrelated to it. You know, it's like, or if you want to learn a different language. Like, I mm. wish Koreans were allowed the latitude to choose another foreign language. You know, uh, it's like, maybe it's not English. Maybe they want to learn French. Uh, yeah. And I've taken classes here at the Alliance Francaise in Huihion, and everybody's Korean but me. And they're, they, they're, they, they, you can tell they love learning French most for the most part. But, mm. you know, maybe they didn't care that much about English. And they, yet they had to devote Lord knows how many hours to it growing yeah, up. It's, you wouldn't believe, not how many, but how moving it is to hear young people in their presentations or in their work for me where they go, really wanted to be a dancer i really wanted to be a dancer i, I really wanted to be a painter right. i've heard this so many times from these young people and you can tell they're passionate and they believe it and that's why they're they're doing these work on things or they're exploring contemporary korea mm. through that lens of dancing or painting it's because they were they were not allowed to explore something sometimes and may, may, maybe we'll get there um i i really do like that advice though to do something i, I believe it's empowering and i believe that can work for anybody the final question here, 
And before I ask it to you, this is where I now ask you to ask a question、mm. to the next guest, and you、yes. don't know who it will be. So,、right. a question about career, deep, shallow, otherwise. Yes, yes.、Uh, this one, this is a question that I, I ask. I don't know if I ask. I put it to new visitors, first-time visitors to Korea. Yes. Like while you're exploring, ask yourself. Keep asking yourself this question. It's it's sort of an elaborate question, but this is what it is.、Mm. Ask yourself while exploring Korea, to what extent is this an Asian country, and to what extent is it a country in Asia, trying to connect itself directly to the West, and to what extent is this a five thousand year old society, and to what extent is this a seventy five year old society trying to connect itself directly to its distant past? That's the question. I love that question, and I'm looking forward to hearing somebody yeah, speak about that. No, because it, it, it's perfect, and、uh, it's it's the kind of question I expected from you. There's actually, not one I, answer to. No, I, I, absolutely. Why、well, I, I say keep it in mind to these people, these visitors, because the answer changes depending on where you are and what you're doing.、Mm. Sometimes Korea feels five thousand years old,、yeah. specious though that number is.、Mm. Sometimes it feels like it was invented the week before last,、yeah. and sometimes it feels like you're in Asia. Sometimes you. Really don't know where, like you're in some non-country that was made by an, an AI or something, you know. <laughs> But it changes. It's always it's yeah. Th- those yeah. those two axes. You're always moving along them. Yes, at all times. Perfect question. And now the question I have、uh, for you、yes. is from a young woman reporter from the Jungang Ilbo. Her name is Haley Yang.、Mm. She came on my podcast. We were in here on Friday. We did、ah. a big three-hour deep dive into、Excellent. everything. And、um, I appreciate the length of your interviews as a listener. I, I'm, I'm glad. I wish we had some water here. I,、ah. I've been getting dry mouth for a while, and as I was doing those pang songs, they put lip gloss on me. <laughs> it's a bit、uh. like that.、Um, Haley Yang's question.、Mm. It's quite simple. Why aren't young people in Korea having kids? This is a question of more than immediate relevance to me.、Uh, <laughs> are, you, are you pregnant? <laughs> I, 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 no, I, there's no pregnancy in my life yet. But it's,、uh, I've been thinking about.、Uh, a lot of my friends are dads here, and you know, should I join their ranks? There are considerations. One, I think the the standard answer is it's too expensive.、Mm. Uh, that's the one you'll get in the newspapers, right?、Mm. But at the same time,、uh, there are. So many benefits that Korea is just like, is it's Korea starting to make it rain on parents? Yeah, and especially if you live in I was in Chungcheongdo, and you get even more money if you have a kid in Chungcheongdo.、Mm. For each kid, even more money than that. Like、mm. you can make a decent wage just because you have the kid for the first few years of life of the of the、uh, of the kids the first few years of the kid's life. And I was visiting some friends in Gangnam who moved here recently from、mm. the U.S. and they 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 participate in Sochogu's toy rental program. You can rent toys. And keep them for a long time.、Wow. Just rent them. I mean, it's free. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, and that's the tip of the iceberg. So it's not having a kid is probably not as expensive as it's made out to be. But what I think they mean is, you know, the hagwon. Yes. All the hagwon and the.、Uh, if you go the international school route, I hear that's becoming very popular. So if you adhere to every trend, it is expensive, and I think it's it's the idea that you have to do. All that extra stuff, and that you can't again. Nothing can come from like the kid can't learn anything from the home or the family. They've got to, we've got to send them places. We've got to send them to, you know. I I always think to myself, 
Korea is not a dystopia, right? Then I hear a friend will tell me like, I'm going to send my toddler to the a company to get socialized. It's like, oh, <laughs> maybe maybe they're right. Maybe you know, Korea expose is right. It really is a hellhole. Uh, but you know, that's this is you don't have to do that. You no, don't have no. to. You don't have to do any of these things. No. And when it comes time to take the sunung, people do it. Like I, I, you meet people here. It's shocking. When, at first, but like pe- you meet students who say like, yeah, I didn't, I got accepted early. I didn't have to take it. I, mm-hmm. I just bubbled in whatever. Or yeah. like, it was fine. It was, it's a luck test. It's just a speed test. Well, they did it three, four times. Yeah, or, or repeated and then it was fine. Uh, I went to Solgang, you know, all mm-hmm. good. Uh, but people, if you make the biggest possible deal out of everything and try to adhere to every trend, which I guess is the assumption of these mm-hmm. young people, we'll have to do all that, mm-hmm. then it is impossible. Uh, but, you know, or it's just, especially if you want, again, to... If you feel like you need to root the kids in another culture, you know, if you've got to send them to the international school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, what I feel lucky about uh, with uh, my girlfriend and I agree on, you know, no hogwan, no international school. Mm-hmm. And you know what I say that angers people the most in Korea when in conversation? Oh. That I don't intend to speak to my kids in English. Wow. Yeah. People get angry. and. I, I explain. They myself. get angry about your behavior that you haven't committed yet. Yeah, exactly. I, Korean I, people get angry. Sorry, did you say? No, not, not necessarily Koreans, but just in general. In, when I explain myself, when I say like, I, I would rather raise kids here who, I want, I want to minimize the foreignness mm-hmm. because they'll have enough to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, this is the question again: Which civilization did you choose? Mm-hmm. I don't want to raise kids here pretending that they are in America. Mm-hmm. I want them to be here in every possible sense. And mm-hmm. I want to be here in every sense as well. And I mean, I, this, this changes with generations. I met an expat, an American expat, 30 years older than I, uh, mm-hmm. than I am. And he, uh, he said, he told me how much he paid to send his kids to Seoul Foreign School. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was not a small number, yeah, even in those yeah. days. And he said it was worth it so they would become American. And to my mind, well, I'd pay that if I could be assured they wouldn't become American. <laughs> but, you know, pe- people get angry about like when they say like, oh, you don't want your kids to be bilingual. It's as if I were going to raise them locked up in a dungeon for 20 years. Uh, no, it's fine. I don't I'm not against bilingualism. They'd be studying Finnish with you, I'm sure. Maybe. I mean, it's stage. like I would yeah. like, you know, I just don't want to set up the thing where it's like there are two languages, Korean and English. Those are the ones there are. Right. Like maybe you want to choose. Maybe maybe they would prefer to learn Finnish or some other language. I don't know. Or no other language. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't want to start off this, you know, it's a bit on the wrong foot to be like, oh, this is the world's language. You should learn it so you can be a global challenger. You know, mm. just God, please <laughs> let me not raise a global challenger. <laughs> That's that's going to be Korea's next catchphrase, isn't it? Global challenger or something like that. Uh, that's going to be used it before. I, I'm, yeah, that's, that's why it sounds like that. Um, it's I know people that have made their children go to different schools in Hogwarts just so they don't have a bilingual or a bipolar. That's the wrong word, but mm. a dual approach to life. So it's Korean and it's ex American right. or something like that. But they need to see it on spectrums with multiple languages and things like that. Right. And I. Right. I really like that sense of it. There was something just as we closed it out that you said that struck me, which was um, because I was speaking about this on Friday after the podcast with Haley with a good friend of mine mm-hmm. who runs the Bry Republic. Uh, oh, I like that place. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Um, he he mentioned that having children is. We were talking about this question after Haley had asked it and. He mentioned that a lot of it is mimetic. Or yeah. You said you see people around you having children, yes, and then you yes. wonder, should I join the tribe or not? Yes. And 
I definitely felt that reality.、Oh, so、yes. there's this kind of, I didn't just do it for those reasons. I, I, I'm comfortable in my own decisions, but I think there is. It's not a copycat effect. Maybe mimetic is the word, but、mm. you do if you see people around you doing it. It's not so much biology, but it's like, well, I like that person. I respect that person. I like that、yes. person, and 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 they're doing those things. So I also want to right, learn, right. finish, have children, whatever it might be. <laughs> yes, yes, the, the standard two, the the two doors you must pass through to manhood: learn, finish, and have children. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes, and we shall relax. Excellent. Good job. Shall I just say? Ah, yeah. What's in it? Ah, no, no, no.